Welcome back, everyone, to part yep. two of the Dark Wood. And yes, Remy, I did not prevent you. I did not let you steal my reading this time. <laughs> I have been purposely waiting. <laughs> I've been purposely yeah. waiting because one day I'm going to get you again, but and you're going to not mm. expect it. Yep, yep. Mm. <laughs> so yes, yes, yes. You got away with it because he allowed you to get away with it. Yes. <laughs> I, I will continue to believe that. So. <laughs> we are returning for part two of the Dark Wood. Last time, our investigators were contacted by an old friend of Myra's, Rebecca Hillbridge, whose husband, Orem, fancied himself as something of an archaeologist, much to the consternation of Arkansas Smith. Oh, Hello, man. M1. Right. <laughs> what an entrance, ladies and gentlemen. So Remy might not have got me, but M1 did. <laughs> um, oh. Orem believes... <laughs> Orem believes that he had discovered uh, some Viking uh, some evidence of Viking settlement in the Americas on the outskirts of the village of Dunwich. And, of course, Myra and the rest of the group knew better than to believe that this was anything other than more evidence of the Hyperboreans in their own backyard. And so, paying particular attention to the part of Rebecca's letter where she stressed that strange man had been watching their property and stalking them, they set off to Dunwich, met with Orem, were very displeased and unimpressed with his uh, competency in the field of archaeology. They confirmed that someone was indeed keeping watch of the Hillbridge uh, house, and then accompanied Orem out to his dig. His dig, which ended up being of a Hyperborean crypt of some kind, the resting place for a device known only as the dust machine, and sadly, the crypt that held within the death of Myra. And so, it has been about three, four days since that incident. You've been, you've spent most of this time in the Hillbridge home, in the decrepit, ramshackle drafty farmhouse that Rebecca and Orem call home. Uh, discussing what to do next while doing your very best to keep both Orem and Rebecca safe. Standing constant vigil in the farmhouse in case the treacherous John Courage, who's, who was responsible for the death of Myra, decides to show himself again. During this time, Arkansas did convince Orem to perhaps leave control of this dig with someone more suited. And so Orem reluctantly decided to send all of his so-called research papers off to Professor Matheson, care of Miskatonic University, to inform them of his findings and of Myra and Sam's unfortunate deaths within the dig site. Miskatonic University sent a reply very quickly 
written by Professor Matheson himself, which stunned most of you as he had been pretty much incommunicado with you ever since Greenland. And yet he responded to Orem's letter almost immediately. He placed he places the uh, dig site in the care of Arkansas Smith as the only qualified archaeologist on the team, making sure, of course, to leave in a clause that Orem receives some measure of credit and money for the discovery, the only thing uh, that would allow you to convince him to actually make his find public to the university. But furthermore, the letter states that Professor Matheson will be sending a mutual, uh, sending a contact of the university down to Dunwich within the coming days to assist you directly. And so, our game begins. Mike Moxley, Eugene Earle, Arkansas Smith, we're all seated in the dusty, drafty kitchenette of the Hillbridge home as Rebecca Hillbridge boils a pot of tea on the stone uh, on the stone oven. When the back door swings oh. open, yep, yes, Remy. No, um, there was feedback, and it just blew out my headphones. Oh shit! Um, oh wow. Yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah, go on. Thanks to BCG, that won't be a problem anymore. Um, <laughs> um, so the back door swings open of its own accord, causing you all to look up. Orem and Rebecca both with looks of shock and fear on their faces as a stern-faced middle-aged man with graying hair clad in a figure-tight black suit brushes the dust of his breastpiece from the blowing wind outside, steps into the kitchen and pulls the screen door shut behind him. Remy, please introduce your new character. Well, chaps, it's nice to meet you. Walter T. Richter at your service. The older gentleman, uh, he works for Miskatonic Mis University. Yes, this is the contact mm. sent by Miskatonic University, Walter Richter. He t shakes each of your hands in turn, and Arkansas looks up, tips his hat, and says, Well, Mr. Richter, I'm sure you've heard of me, Arkansas Smith, of course. I'm now the one in charge of the dick, and as such, I do believe you'll be working directly under me from now on. Yes, uh, I do have a dossier on you, and then, as far as I was told, it's not too far under you, good sir. But I will be taking your lead. Upon hearing the word dossier, Orem Hellbridge looks up, his brow furrowed, and he says, oh, Wait a minute. Dossier? I thought, I thought the university would be putting Arkansas here in charge of the dig, uh, sending someone to assist us, you know, like a worker or a digger or heavy machinery operator or something like that. What dossier would you be referring to? Why exactly have you been sent to help us? What do you intend to do? 
And why are you asking questions? Everything you've managed to do, I think you should just sit quietly and let everyone else handle this, please. <laughs> or it's just... quite all right, Mr. Moxley. It's quite all right. When I said dossier, that was a bit of an exaggeration. We have just files. They, these people have worked with the Miskatonic University in the past. So I just have some files explaining who they are, what they were like to work with, and so on and so forth. I am here to provide assistance in any way that I can. I have some special skills that would come in handy in cases like this. Arkansas frowns and he says, hmm, special skills? Well, I believe I have all the archaeology skills tied up. So, let me guess, by special skills, could we perhaps be talking to someone who is skilled in the occult? Perhaps the acquisition of occult artifacts? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Never you mind too much, I'm here to help. Orem Hellbridge Ooh. just brushes his hand in the air and says, Oh, whatever. As long as I get paid for this. I did discover the place after all. And he storms <sighs> out of the room as Rebecca pours each of you a cup of tea. She notices, yeah, that she, she notices that she doesn't have enough tea for the newcomer. And so she blushes and shrugs and then hands her own mug of tea to Walter. And then she follows Orem out into the lounge room. Yeah. Mike just watches that and just looks and goes, Yeah, sorry about him. He's been kind of a pain in the ass since we got here. Last couple of days haven't done much for his mood. And quite alright, quite alright. And how, says Arkansas. I don't think he quite enjoyed standing in the presence of such an accomplished archaeologist as myself. You sip your tea for a few moments, and about five minutes later, Orem comes back into the kitchen, stomping and stamping, obviously frustrated. He looks over at you all, red in the face, and he says, Well, I hope you know what you're working with, because my research papers never made it to the university, and they're all gone, destroyed. So I hope you're happy. How do you mean it never made it to the university? He says, I just got a phone call there from Joe. I just got a phone call there from Joe Osborne down at the trading post in town. Now today, he was op today he opens up after lunchtime. He came to open up the store. Everything seemed fine. He gets inside. The entire mail room has been trashed. All of the mail inside's been torn up and destroyed. Little tiny window overlooking the mail room's been broken, and he has no idea how anyone could have fit through such a small hole. Needless to say, the last of my research papers that I bundled up on your insistence were in that mail room, and they're now nothing more than shreds on the floor there. Oh, great. So either someone's watching the post box or our special friend we're trying to find is keeping an eye on more than one thing in town. That's just that's just dandy. Oh, that's just too bad, says Arkansas. 
but if I say so myself, your research papers didn't really amount to anything useful. Orem just glares at him. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Needless to say, now that Walter is here and the uh, and the university has graciously placed the dig under my control. I feel that perhaps we shouldn't linger here too much longer, especially now that our friend John Courage might be making a move. He stands up, drains his tea, tips his hat, clutches his whip that's tucked into his belt, and he says, I, for one, am eager to do some investigating. Orem just shrugs and says, well... Do whatever you want. I officially wash my hands of this whole business. I don't want nothing to do with it. I can take a hint, and obviously I'm not wanted here by more than one party. He glares at Walter, then at Mike Moxley, then at Arkansas, then grabs Rebecca by the arm and escorts her out of the kitchen. Out of character, the fuck did I do? I turn up and introduce myself. Yep, and, and he doesn't like that. <laughs> he doesn't like any. It was it was a struggle to get. It was a struggle to convince him to relinquish the site to the university. He's not appreciating any of what he sees as oversight. So, you actually have an outstanding lead from last time. That is to visit Elder Saddlemaker. In the shadows of, in the shadow of Bishop Mountain, where he resides on his own in a cabin, according to the diary entry you found among Rebecca's uh, notes, uh, many years ago, John Courage was seen uh, learning something, being instructed by Elder Saddlemaker at this cabin. Elder Saddlemaker had John Courage lying on the floor and was walking around him in a circle, singing some sort of song. And in addition, the log note that the unfortunate worker at the archaeological site left behind when he died stated that he intended to confer with Elder Saddlemaker later that same day regarding the charnel post that Orem and he discovered outside of the crypt. So there is that lead, but you also now have a new lead, graciously brought to your attention by Orem, whether he intended to or not, and that is that the trading post slash post office has been broken into, and Orem's research papers, useless as they are, were destroyed. Although you all agree that the loss of Orem's research papers doesn't really amount to any great loss, perhaps it might right. still be worth heading down there and checking out any clues that might be on the site that could come in handy for later, at least give you some idea of what your enemies are planning. Yeah, I might jump on the... Uh... Yeah, ones to investigate the store. I'm probably better at talking to people rather than some of the other crap that's been going on. Walter is just going to tag along until he gets an idea of the situation. Um, yeah. Yep. 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 So, uh, and M1 has requested that he just wants to go along with the party. 
whatever they're doing. So I believe that means you'd like to go to the trading post and then pay a visit to Elder Saddlemaker. Uh, does anyone have any any other ideas? Not, not really. Walter, yeah, he's... He as far as he knows, someone died on the dig and he's been sent out to try and get this place back under yep. professional standards, basically. Very well. So you place your teacups in the uh, stone sink next to the oven, exit the house, and make sure you lock the screen door behind you as you make your way across the overgrown uh, grounds outside the house. You keep your wits about you, scanning the area for any sign of the enemy, John Courage, stake the upper house, but uh, I'd like everyone to make a spot hidden check, please. I can do... That is... That's a 36, which is a hard pass for me. Yep, and it's also a pass for Dr. Eustace Earl. So, you know how you said that my spot hidden is like one of the highest that we can have? Did you just fail? No, I got exactly what it is. Exactly uh. what it is. Wow. Oh, wow. The, these dice that Kitty got me are really playing tricky buggers today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a normal you, pass for me. As you trudge over the overgrown grass and shrubbery towards the dirt track that serves as the driveway for uh, the Hillbridge estate, you notice uh, on the border of uh, on the border of one of the adjoining uh, grazing fields another fence post that's been bent over, um, and a patch of grass beyond it flattened. John Courage has been here. He's not here now, but it seems that he has still been watching the house as you've been taking residence there over the past few days. And is there anything you'd like to do, or would you like to continue on? Um, Alright, let me just check. Where's my persuasion? Actually, not bad. I'm actually going to go back and probably insist that both all the misses and Mr. Jerkface find somewhere to lay low while this is going on, if they're still being watched. Yep. So... You tell, you, you tell the others you'll meet them at the end of the trail, on the edge of the road that heads into town. And then you head back, walk up the veranda, and wrap your knuckle on the screen door. About 20 seconds later, you hear Orem's voice on the other side of the door. What is it? Speaking irritably. And you tell him that John Courage appears to still be watching the house to take Rebecca and lie low, perhaps lock your hmm. lock themselves up up on the second yeah. floor in their bedroom. No, 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 I, I meant like I meant like get out of the house and not be at the house, find ah, somewhere else yes. to stay. If he's watching the property, it makes little sense for them to stay there. That's a good idea. Please make a persuade check. Oh, it's really hard to persuade her because I feel like she'd be easy to work with. But sure, uh, that's a thirty. That's a hard pass. Orem thinks for a moment and he says, Ah, Christ, who am I to argue with? You two people have already been killed. 
All right, I'll get Rebecca to pack some things. We'll head into town. Maybe we'll uh, catch a room at her friend from the schoolhouse. We'll look. We'll get some errands and some shopping done. By the time we get home, you'll be back, and we should be okay. Hmm. Look, as long as you're not just in the house by yourselves, that's all. That's that's the best you can hope for. Yeah, yeah, he says, and you hear the sound of the door being latched on the other side. Hey, oh, putz. You rejoin the others at the road that leads into town, and about 40 minutes of walking later, you emerge in the town square of Dunwich and make your way to Osborne's general store. Osborne's is Dunwich's only commercial outlet, a meagerly stocked store and combination post office housed in the faded and abandoned Congregational Church. Joe Osborne, the owner and proprietor, is evidently one of the friendlier people in Dunwich, as several of the locals lounge near a pot-bellied stove just inside the old church, playing checkers and loudly conversing with one another. As you push the door open, step in and shut it behind you, all of the locals briefly look up take stock at you and then go back to their games of checkers or their conversations. Meanwhile, a rather portly man wearing a brown apron with long shoulder length black hair and a bushy moustache, evidently the proprietor, beckons you from behind the wooden counter right at the very end of the church hall where the priest would have once conducted services and calls for you to join him. Customers, come, come, I've got everything you need. As you approach him, he holds out a bulbous hand and says, uh, not often we see out-of-towners. My pleasure, my pleasure. Joe Osborne, proprietor here and postmaster. He shakes each of your hands in turn. Now, what can I do for you? He says as he leans forward over the counter. Now, um... I'll be right back. Someone's at the door, sorry. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, my silver I'm going. Uh, look, um... We're working in town with, uh, what was his friggin' name again? Uh, Orem Hillbridge. Yeah, Orem. Yeah, with Orem. He was, uh, sending some mail off for us, but, uh, apparently this place got, uh, had someone break into it. As you mention this, you notice that the locals all hush pausing their games of checkers, looking up at you, their gazes lingering on you. And Joe blushes slightly. He reaches up and scratches the edge of his moustache, and he purses his lips and he says, Break in! Uh, not sure what you're talking about there, sir. There ain't been no breaking. Uh, Joe's Trading Post is the safest place in town. You one of those things, eh? Look, is there someone who can talk in private then? Please, okay. m please make a persuade check. Oh, damn, yeah, bastard. That is 63, which is exactly my persuasion skill at this point. Joe stares at you for a moment and 
then he raises a bulbous hand, makes a hand motion to the locals who look away, go back to their conversations, continue playing their games of checkers. He leans over and whispers, Alright, look, I can tell you're not here to cause trouble. Look, come, come into the back. He raises a portion of the counter, it creaks as it opens, and he gestures for you to follow him into the back room. Once you're in the back room, he shuts the door behind him, makes sure it is tightly shut by checking the doorknob several times. Then he folds his arms together and he says, Look, uh, I don't want the locals to hear there's been a break in. The locals in this town tend to be uh, quite jumpy at the best of times. Uh, but, look, if as long as you promise that you're not here on behalf of Orem to raise a stink, I'll uh, answer your questions. And stuck with that jerk for the past week. Trust me, I want nothing more to do with him, but uh, I was more concerned with uh, what actually happened since we're uh, reluctantly working with him. He says, yeah, well, Aram came in here about two days ago, uh, had a box. He said it was all his research papers, uh, was mailing them to Miskatonic over in Arkham, uh, said that you had convinced him to uh, relinquish control of his dick to uh, Arkansas Smith. As he says this, he looks over and sees Arkansas Smith, and then he smiles and he says, Huh, he wasn't pulling my leg. He actually does have the man himself down here helping him out. Well, there is no imposter to Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if there is, you better tell me about it. Joe just <laughs> nods and says, oh, I had no idea Aurum was uh, so well-connected. Well, uh, anyway, It Aurum... wasn't until recently. <laughs> <laughs> Joe laughs and says, oh, that I do believe. Well, anyway, had all the stuff packed up, ready to go. I was going to send it today after lunch when I opened up the store. Anyway, I come in, open up the store about... Mm, 5, 10 past 12 this afternoon. Everything seems fine. No signs of break and entry, anything like that. Get in here, get into the mail room, and, well, he gestures for you to follow him. He leads you through the cramped storage area uh, that would have once served as the priest's quarters in this church, now stocked with cardboard boxes and barrels and wooden crates filled with wares. And... He opens a metal door at the opposite side of the room, letting you into the mail room, and he gestures at what you see on the other side. Shreds of paper and cardboard, blankets, the wooden floorboards, the remnants of at least several days' worth of letters, documents, packages, all of them now shred into tiny pieces. Uh, guess the old blowhard wasn't, pull, wasn't pulling that leg either. He says, yeah, everything uh. in the mailroom was destroyed. Not just Aurum's papers, mind you. Everything that was here. Whoever was here didn't want to take any chances. They destroyed everything. And as for how they got in, well, get a load of this. He steps across these shards of paper and gestures towards a tiny window set into set into the very top of the wall just above a wooden counter 
that's affixed to the plaster wall. The window is about 30 centimetres in length and about 6 centimetres in height. There is no way that a human being could have fit through this window. And yet here it is, broken. Uh, pieces of glass blanketing the counter below. Joe sighs and says, The doors were all fine. No signs of forced entry, so I'm left to conclude that this was the only way someone could have got in. But how? It must have been a leprechaun, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh... See, I could probably take a guess at what this is, but obviously, for obvious reasons, we're not mentioning it out loud, but we'll just sort of stare at it and go, uh, as, uh, that's an interesting conundrum. You know, leprechaun, hell, maybe whoever sent them in here just got a really ambitious rat. Hmm? <laughs> Joe chuckles, and then he says, well, look, uh, I promised Orem that I'd wait till tonight to call the police. Anyway, I gotta bring him in from Arkham. It's gonna take a few hours for him to get down here. So, until then, consider yourself seven free reign of this room here. I, I ain't much of an investigator, so if there are any clues, uh, I wouldn't have found any. Maybe you'll find something that could help you out. Uh, just let me know when you're done, and uh, I'll uh, make sure I uh, lock up after you. He nods, uh, he nods happily, giving you a smile, twirling the edge of his bushy moustache, and then he exits the room, pulling the door shut behind him, leaving you alone in the mail room. So it's just us in here now? Just us, just you guys in here now. What would you like to do? Hmm. Well, I'm going to look around, look at the window, and go, So, don't suppose anyone wants to take guesses on, say, an odd, invisible thing getting allowed free range in here? <laughs> Dr. Eugene Earl simply shudders, and, well, what does Arkansas say to this? Um, not much. <laughs> yeah. So just, no, uh, well, so just to fill you I in... Hey, hang on, Remy. Just, just to fill yeah. you in, Smithy, uh, Arkansas has been placed in charge of the dig. The Miskatonic University did send uh, contact, which is Remy's character, and that's all we've done. You haven't. You literally only missed the open. So, okay. Yep. Now, Remy, what would you like to do? Um, has Walter actually, in the letter to the Miskatonic University, actually filled in on uh, who died, how they died? Yes, Walter. You were given a very detailed uh, dossier by Professor Matheson uh, describing what the group found within the crypt. Uh, in graphic detail, the death of Myra and copy, and along with that accounts from Arkansas, Dr. Earl and Mike Moxley about what they saw in the aftermath of Myra's death, including the word Desh. And you can make a Cthulhu Mythos check now if you like to see if you know what a dash actually is. I will try. Uh, I'm going to push it. Nah. So you don't know what a dash is exactly, but the materials you were given about the Hyperboreans, one of your ongoing projects in conjunction with the university, 
Um, you do know that the Hyperboreans uh, did often communicate with extra-dimensional creatures. And so logic states that, the de that a Desh must be some sort of creature from another reality. As such, the laws of this reality would likely not be subject to it. Okay. Okay, um... I mean, we should probably still look around for any other clues, but I'm just saying, considering we've been dealing with these things since we got here, it might uh, make a lot of sense if someone's trying to cover their tracks. Yep, that's... Just in the insanely off chance that our friend, associate, was actually onto something. So if you'd like to examine the room, please make spot hidden checks. With pleasure. Uh, that's a normal so, pass. And then let's try again, just somehow. That's a regular pass for me. Uh, that is a regular pass for me as well. And I think that's a pass for William Earl. How did Remy do? Uh, just a normal pass for me. A normal pass, that's fair enough. Normal passes all around. Normal pass for everyone. Oh, yep, M1's going to roll Yay. his actual roll. Go ahead, make a spot hidden uh... check. I can't roll in the wrong bloody section. 60. Uh, 60. Uh, you want to push it? Because your spot hit it's 50. You nah, should be able I'll to. actually... Yeah, why not? Pushing is free. Yeah. You want to spend three luck? Because this will require all um, passes of the group check to get. Wait, really? Uh, yep. Three luck. Yeah, yep. spend all it. Right. So you spend your three luck. Your luck goes down to 37. And you all pass this group check. So you spend about 20 minutes looking around the room, picking up shreds of paper, examining them under the dim light of the mail room. The mail room is lit only by the light from that tiny window and an oil-lit lamp on one of the counters. Not a lot of light, but there's enough for you to determine that the shreds have been torn apart violently, not cut apart in a systematic manner, but roughly, violently torn apart as if a wild animal went berserk in here and ripped everything to shreds with its teeth. Mm. This is enough to confirm your fears, but then, after you finish examining the papers themselves, you decide to examine the tiny door, and there you see it. What appears to be a small shred of translucent matter adhering to the window frame. Almost like a glob of saliva, but more solid, clearly not liquid. Um, the hell is this? Okay, um, hmm. Can I... Do... I don't know what the hell you'd roll to check that. Um, I'm just looking at all my skills to see if I have anything that might actually be good for it other than Cthulhu Mythos or Occult. Well, I could say that if you want to take it off the window frame to take, to take possession of it, would require a sleight of hand or a hard dex check. Oh... Okay, well, I have a 40 in sleight of hand. 
Very well. Yep, go ahead then, Mike Moxley. Oh, goody. I'm gonna touch the gross shit. It's a 27. A 27. In spite of your better judgment, you swallow, gulp some air, reach out, and with the tip of your index finger and your thumb, extract the material off the window frame. In your hands, it feels wet and slimy, though it is clearly solid as squeezing your two fingers together, you're unable to make any impression on its surface. Would Arkansas do like a natural world check yes, to Arkansas see? Yes, Arkansas can make a natural world check on it. Uh, he's done something. So I said I'd happily hand it off to him so I'm not touching it anymore because come on, man, this is... Yeah. <laughs> that is an 18, so that is a hard pass. Very nice. So, Arkansas, you do a... You take the material from Mike. You hold it in your hands. And you notice that even though it feels wet and squishy, it's quite hard and solid. Uh, It's not liquid. Looking at it, you you determine that it is almost certainly organic. It's not artificial. But you can't determine what sort of animal it would be from. In fact, you can't think of anything you've seen like this before and determine that it must be... must have some supernatural origin. It's most likely a piece of the dish. Um, Eugene Earl and uh, Walter, you may make a cult checks if you like. Uh, may as well try. Uh... I'm going to push. The the wolf head is double zero, I think. Yep. Yes, it is. So I got a two, which uh, for me is a hard pass. Yeah, and Eugene Earl also got a hard pass on his. So you both get hard passes. You take turns grabbing the material, touching it, rubbing your thumb over it, and the thing that pops into your head is the word ectoplasm. The residue left in the aftermath of a haunting of a ghost or a creature similar to a ghost, something that defies the laws of physics... Haunting a place, breaking into a location, passing through a solid object, and leaving a piece of itself behind. Then, as if to confirm your hypothesis, one of you decides to hold the object up to the sunlight streaming in from the tiny window. And as soon as the sunlight touches the material... It sparkles dully and then begins to unravel into an oily white mist, dissolving in your hand until nothing but a fine white powder is left. So the dish becomes immaterial in sunlight. Perhaps. Which... Okay. 
sunlight or maybe just strong light in general, as you do notice that the oh. mail room is quite dimly lit after all and would have, even during the day, there's not a whole lot of light here. Even if the light, even if the lamp was on, the light would not have been very strong at all in this room. Hmm. So, really strong light, huh? Yes. <laughs> Seems that way. I was going to say, Mike just sort of uh, <clears throat> fiddles with his camera a little bit and just goes, I have to keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be nothing else to find in the mail room, so is there anything else you would like to do before you leave? Uh... They were very talked to the only person who uh, knew about this since he's keeping under wraps, so yeah. not to spook other people. So, um, we've determined that it was a dash and that everything's been destroyed. So, yeah. <sighs> can I? Um, Walter would like to go out to the window on the outside of the building. Yes, you can. That makes sense. So, Walter, you leave the others behind. You exit the mail room, move back through the church proper, and then once you and once you exit out onto the street outside, circle around the side of the church to the back to the other side of the window. And I'd like you to make a spot hidden check, please. I'm gonna push that, uh, oh no, is that a, no, yeah, that's a 70, uh, I'm pushing, uh, that's a normal pass. Normal pass? In the back of the church, just outside the window, you see, uh, stamped into the dirt road, what appears to be a set of tracks. At first, you think they're the tracks of a child, as they're quite small. Then you determine that they're not human tracks. It seems to be made by some sort of creature that has only three uh, pointed toes and a very thin foot. Perhaps uh, only as thick as your index finger and thumb clasped together. Uh, walking towards the window and then a separate set of tracks leading away from the window based on the fact that they fade into the dirt after only a few steps where uh, the tracks of horses and cartwheels have uh, overridden these tracks over the course of the day, you determine that they are from very possibly early this morning or late last night. Definitely before the uh, hustle and bustle of the day. Okay. So... Meanwhile, can I... yep. Can I track where they're coming from? Uh, yes, you can make a track check if you like. And wouldn't you know it, I did not put anything into that, but let's see. I'm going to push it. 
Yeah, I'm not spending 38 luck. Yeah, uh, you, no. <laughs> you follow them for a small, you follow them for a short distance, but when the tracks reach the road proper, it's hard to see them anymore because there's a day's worth of cartwheel lines and hoof imprints that have run over the tracks by now and pretty much stomped them out of existence. So you have no idea where they've come from. Meanwhile, okay. the rest of you. Uh, leave the mail room. You thank Osborne for his time. And as you're walking out uh, back through the general store, through the church proper, one of the locals looks up from his checker game, from his game of checkers, and starts to follow you with his gaze. An oldish man, perhaps in his late 60s, early 70s, with long grey hair and a leather, leathery, weather-worn face. I would like Arkansas Smith to please do an appearance check. Oh, it seems to be his strongest suit, so... (laughs) (laughs) That is a 32, so that is a hard pass. The man continues watching you, and then after a few moments, his gaze fixes on Arkansas, and he raises a bony hand and gestures for you to come over and join him at the pot-bellied stove where he plays checkers with one of the other locals. Arkansas looks at the others and uh, just starts making his way over. He looks you up and down and he says, Yep, I was right, it's Arkansas Smith. The world-famous adventurer here in the sticks in Dunwich. He says, I saw you walk. He says, I saw you walk in. I saw you question old Joe over the counter there. And, well, I thought it was you, so I couldn't help listening in. And I heard you mention the name uh, John Courage. You wouldn't be looking for him now, would you? Uh, not wanting to give too much away, but just uh, no one mentioning about how his name has crossed our path and but yeah, just not giving too much away to this fella. Yep, so I'd like you to make a charm check, please. Or a fast uh, talk, depending on which one you have. Um, That is an 18, so that is oh. <laughs> a yeah, that pass is... on both occasions. Even here, yeah. in the ba- even here in the backwoods of Dunwich, people know who Arkansas is, it seems. The man, the man looks at his partner and makes a hand gesture. The partner nods. He gets up and walks away, leaving Arkansas alone with this man. And then the man leans in and he says, Well, look, now that you mention it, I did see John a week or so back. He was standing on the edge of town looking at the old schoolhouse. His face was sad, but somehow he didn't look quite normal. Now, as soon as he spotted me, he turned on his heel and headed straight east. Must be living up in the woods or something. I decided to follow him, and later that day... I saw him in the woods on the eastern face of Mount of Bishop Mountain. Now, plenty of empty shacks and houses in those hills. He could be holing up anywhere in that general vicinity. So, if you're looking for him, 
I bet that's where I'd want to go look. Well, thank you very much, good sir. And just once again pulls out a, uh, well, because he's with the partners there, I'll give him uh, two signed autographs. <laughs> he shakes your head and he says, Name's Harris, by the way, and let me tell you, I will take this day to my grave as one of my greatest moments as he shakes your hand and takes the signed wow. photographs. Before he takes it, I write, uh, write his name in a little message to Harris. <laughs> he nods and smiles in obvious glee as he takes both of the photos and puts them in his breast pocket and then you tip your hat to him and join the others outside and tell them of the tidbit of information that old man Harris just provided to you that uh, if you were to look for John Courage he would likely be found on the eastern face of Mount Bishop hmm by this time it is about two in the afternoon the high noon sun is high in the air and spring is in full effect the air is getting hot and humid uh, Dunwich even though it's a small backwater town the main street is bustling with activity people going back and forth in and out of the nearby businesses some of them shooting a glance or two at you, most of them just ignoring you as they turn into a mass of moving colours going about their business. Um, so, what lead would you like to follow now? You can go and visit uh, Elder Saddlemaker, or perhaps you might like to pay a visit out to the eastern face of Bishop Mountain, see if you could find John's hideout. Mm. Mm. Maybe best to go see the Elder first. Yeah, I was going to say that might be... Possibly the better option, yeah. Yep. Very well, very well. So you agree to go visit Elder Saddlemaker as uh, Walter reminds everybody that according to the report, this was on the cards before the ill-fated trip into the crypt. So you decide not to put it off any longer. You head back to head back to the ramshackle farm that the Hillbridges call home. Move past the farmhouse itself and begin making your way through one of the northern grazing fields. Trudging through trudging through overgrown yellowing grass that comes up past your waist as you make your way towards the tree line that borders the Dunwich outskirts and lies in the shadow of Bishop Mountain. As soon as you pass through the tree line, I would like somebody to make a navigate check, please, to attempt to find the trail. Uh, did I? Uh, I can do nope. that. I have some skill in navigating. Alright, go ahead. Probably more than any of us. Why none of us ever take Navigate? I don't know. Um, I'm gonna push that and use different dice. <laughs> which was a good idea because that's a normal pass. Hey! <laughs> so, you have the diary entry that says that 
there's a trail in these woods, and if you keep heading north along the trail, you'll eventually reach the cabin where Elder Saddlemaker lives. That said, with that information, the trail itself proves to be quite difficult to find, as this portion of the woods hasn't been traversed in quite some time. It takes you about an hour of moving through the woods, pushing branches out of your faces, ducking underneath grass knots, and jumping over ditches until you finally find the well-worn trail and begin to make your way down it. Eventually, after what seems like an hour or more of walking, you reach the end of the trail, which comes out of the woods into a clearing in the shadow of the southernmost face of Bishop Mountain. And here lies an old shack, a low, built against a low stony ridge. The crude shack is made of scrap wood with a tin roof. The door, patched and ragged at the bottom, stands slightly ajar. And as you approach the cabin, I'd like you all to make listen checks. That's a two, so... Good lord. <laughs> That's nine. That's an extreme. So, same for me. That's yep. Listen. There it is. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, good eyes um, and good ears. Push it. <laughs> and then I've got a seven. <laughs> wow. Which is a hard. Jeez, you like to push that one. Go ahead, push it, M1. I am listening, as he announces, listening to the wall. Yep, well, you're obvious... a pass by one. Yes, it is a pass by one, actually, so you're fine. Um, so as you all approach the cabin, you hear a voice on the other side of the door that's slightly ajar, mumbling to itself. Ah, dang, yeah, dang old boy thinks he's doing a good thing. Well, when I get my hands on that dust machine, I'm gonna put everything right. I'm gonna... Make good for those poor folk who is killed, and I ain't gonna let anyone get in our way. If I gotta, if I gotta take drastic measures, then that's what I gotta do. Oh boy, interesting. Well, that confirms he knows what's going on. That helps us. It also confirms that he knows what the dust machine is. <laughs> that's yes. even more helpful. So you, re you stand in front of the door as the voice inside continues mumbling. What would you like to do? You could just step right into the shack if you want, but perhaps you'd like to be polite and knock first. Yeah, probably best to be polite. We already viewed him as a threat. No, he doesn't seem to be a threat. Ooh. Okay. So who'd like to knock? Ah, oh, I'll knock. Yep, so Eugene steps forwards and he knocks on the door. Almost immediately, the door opens and an old man with shoulder-length white hair pokes his head out to look over the party warily. What do you want? he asks. If you come for your tax money, forget it. I ain't got nothing to do with the IRS. And then <laughs> with that, he slams the door shut and you hear him latching it on the other side. Mm. I think he's had this before. Uh, Walter. Oh, okay. What would you? 
you hear the sound of the door latching, and then, as if to reiterate his point, you hear the old man shout, Get gone! I ain't got no tax money to give you! I thought I'd tell you this every year, going back at least 20 years now! Look, look, good. Yeah, you can. I was going to say, do you have persuasion? Eugene Eugene does have persuasion. Yeah, he has a 54 in persuasion. He also has a 75 in psychology. Mm, Hard boss. Okay, so Eugene, you knock again and you say, I'm sorry, sir, we're not here for tax money. None of us works for the revenue office. Please, uh, we just want to ask a few questions. You hear the man on the other side of the door hush, and then a few seconds pass, and you hear the sound of the door unlatching. He opens it and steps out into the sunlight. His face is gaunt and hawk-like, his golden eyes sharp and appraising as he sizes sizes each of you up. The very tips of his ears, ever so slightly pointed. He says, yeah? Uh, he says, you realize who I am. I'm Elder Saddlemaker, and I don't play nicely with white people. So, if you're not here for money, and you're not here to try to sell me something, you got about ten seconds to tell me what you're doing here before I shut the door again. All right. Um, quietly calm him down and reassure him by saying we're here to see all the spooky weird goings on around this place (laughs) please make a Um, psychoanalysis check that is yeah that that's almost an extreme raise your hands and you say look sir we're not here to cause trouble we're not we're not here to aggravate you we don't want to sell you anything we just want to ask some questions and it may be a matter of life or death so please just calm down uh, and talk to us saddle maker sighs and he leans against the side of the door frame and he says all right i'm listening you've made your point and i have a feeling i know what you're here for so go ahead shoot Right. With the IRS, we're here to get in tackle kitty. That's not Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um, you would. Please take it yeah. away, M2. Ah, oh, oh, alright. Alright. And so looks and goes, Look, we were hired to investigate the uh dig site here in town and um look, I I'm not gonna be around in the bush, and I guess you already know why we're here. We want to ask you some questions about, uh, about courage. Saddlemaker nods silently, and he says, yeah, that buffoon Hillbridge didn't know what he was getting into when he decided to dig up that place. That's man wouldn't know a, man wouldn't know a damn thing about archaeology. If he did, maybe he'd do his research and realize that there are some things that men shouldn't be tinkering with. He says, well, as for Courage, well, I happen to know that John Courage is someone who's taken great offense to Hillbridge digging up uh, the remains of the past, you see. And... Well, Courage, you may or may not know this, is not a man to be trifled with. 
He is a man who has some very dangerous knowledge. And he will go to any lengths to ensure that what he considers to be his birthright is not disturbed. Yeah, we definitely know that. So far he's killed two people and I'm pretty sure he's interested in at least two more. That's why we're trying to find out where he's at so we could at least try and stop him. Saddle maker. does anything. Saddlemaker nods and he says, I came to the, much the same conclusion myself. You see, ever since Aram dug up that place, I've been keeping an eye on it. The worker who perished at that site, Sam, was an old friend of mine and was passing information to me on exactly what had been going on down there. When I learned that John had taken an interest, I felt that it was only a matter of time before something like this happened. And so, being that John and I share the same blood, I was working on putting things right. Now, when you say the same blood... Now, so just uh, silently, so like, tilt his head towards the uh, just sort of gestures at the ears. We ain't talking color here, are we? He nods, he says, Look, uh, normally I wouldn't go into it, least of all not with a white man, but you seem yeah. to have, seem to know what you're talking about. So I'll say this. My tribe, or at least members of my tribe, are descended from people we know as the elder people. Legend has it that centuries ago, some of our scouts uncovered uh, an old burial site in the outskirts of what would later become the town of Dunwich. They feared at first that this burial site was the home of dark spirits, but being daring scouts, they decided to plunder the burial site for treasures, thinking that there would be items left behind by an enemy tribe that we could perhaps use to trade with the settlers. When we open, when, when our scouts opened the crypt, instead they awoke the elder people who had been slumbering within. The elder people came from a time before, you see, and although their great empire was no more, they offered a great boon to our tribe, taught us how to... He trails off. Taught us how to do things that other tribes could only dream of. Interbred with those who were worthy, and although they eventually died off, their legacy remains in our blood. And those of us who carry that blood, like myself and John Courage, Sometimes we are blessed with insights from the elder people. I don't understand it. It is like a dream of unnatural clarity. Sometimes it comes to me in the time between the worlds, at dusk or dawn, memories that do not belong to me, memories of a sun shining in the morning of the world, when men were more than men, and also less. It's from these memories that I have learned many things how to communicate with the creatures beyond, and how to manipulate the machinery left behind by the elders. Now, courage, well, 
he was born of a white woman and an Indian father, you see. His mother died when he was a young age, when he was a very young age, and his father, upon seeing the manifestation of the blood within him, abandoned him, leaving him in the custody of the people of Dunwich. When I learned that he had expressed the blood, I sought him out. I sought to teach him all I could, all I knew about the old ways. I tried to warn John about what might eventually happen to him if he embraced these old ways. That he should be aware of them, but also aware that some of the memories that he inherited would only bring great sorrow. But I can tell now that Courage was not really listening to my advice. When I told him about the terrible power of the Elder Gods that his ancestors once worshipped, the formless ones from the Outer Void, and how his blood was tainted like mine, I could see that he thirsted after the knowledge. I taught him nothing more about the subject once I saw the lust in his eyes. I cut off contact with him, but endeavored to watch him. And, just as I feared, the inevitable has come to pass. Saddlemaker hangs his head in obvious shame. Now, we, well, just as to most of the group, most of us have been down in that crypt. Obviously, one of us didn't make it out. However, you talked about machinery. While we were down there, we did read a few things about something called a, a dust machine. His graying eyebrows raise at the mention of the dust machine, but then he folds his arms and he says, I'm afraid that's where my knowledge ends. I know that John happens to be after such a thing, but as for myself, the elders have not blessed me with that knowledge. Uh, M1, Dr. Eugene, you may make a psychology check, please. Oh, I was going to say, he, we heard him mentioning yeah, it before did, we came but... in, so... But uh, yes, yeah, that is an extreme pass. So yeah, it is. It is evident to you that, especially as you heard him mumbling about such a thing as you approached his cabin, that he's just choosing not to say any more. In fact, he knows he knows a lot more than he claims to. Yeah. Well, I'm just going back on. Look, can I do something to get him to answer? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I would like to cast a spell. Ooh, oh, yes. Uh, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Ooh, wow. I would like to cast Dominate. Very well. Go oh. ahead. Spend your magic points. Yep, so one magic point and one sanity. All right. And it's an opposed power, power check. Opposed power check. Go ahead. Make your power check, please. Come on. Uh, that is a 31. Which, for me, is just a normal pass. Under your if breath, that... you whisper the incantation, and you look straight into Saddlemaker's yellow, eagle-like eyes. He looks back at you. He attempts his own power check. Oh, goddammit. Yes. Would you like to push your power check? Or spend luck yes. on it? Yes. Uh, I will actually spend nine luck. Nine luck? You see his eyes lock on yours. 
they narrow as if he's growing angry, frustrated, aware of what you're doing, but then they glaze over. He smiles. What command do you give him? Um... Tell us the truth to what we ask. He nods, turns around, shuffles back into the shack, shutting the door behind him. And about a minute later, opens the door. Clasped in his hand is what appears to be a rolled up piece of yellowed parchment. He hands it to you, and as he hands it to you, he says, The dust machine allowed the elders to communicate with the Desh on a greater scale than could be achieved through any spell. Furthermore, it could be used to reverse the summoning of the Desh. He recites in a monotone voice a series of syllables that instantly burn themselves into your minds. Saddlemaker smiles again. He says, that is the phrase of opening. He shuffles backwards through the doorway and he says, be careful. The Desh have been with us for many years. My father's fathers knew them and how to call them from the invisible spaces around us. I also know how, but I will not do it. I have prayed that none of us, those with the blood, should ever do it. Do not look upon them. To look into their bodies is to see the dreams of people from whom they have stolen the spark of life. To see these dreams is to go mad. With that, he shuts the door and latches it on the other side, leaving you alone in the clearing outside his shack. I was going to say... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say I'll look at the paper, but you go first. I was going to say, did we notice um, Walter casting that spell at all? Um, You noticed him... Yeah, well, you all have spells, so you recognize the casting of a spell when you see it, yes. Alright, Mike's just gonna sort of just look over Walter going So Who exactly are you? As I said, someone with a special skill set to help the Miskatonic University. I didn't realize the uh, Miskatonic, no, I have kind of figured the Miskatonic after the last couple of adventures where more deep into this sort of thing than I'd hoped, but, uh, well, you know, might have answered one question and raised a few more. Even I myself do not know everything the Miskatonic University's got their hands in, but during one of my earlier jobs for them, I came across a tome, a tome that had this spell on it, and it has come in handy since. <sighs> I don't suppose there's any downsides to using that on the person. So just as back inside, can't imagine. Oh, he'll be fine now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's gonna be a case of yeah, but he didn't exactly trust us to begin with. I doubt he's gonna be friendly from now on. As if to as if to follow up on what you said, you all immediately hear from inside the shack. God damn tax people! I keep telling you year after year, I don't have any money for you. As I said, comes in handy. Now I suggest we leave. <laughs> fair, fair. No objections here. 
And as we're leaving, I'll look at the paper that he gave yep. me. So as you leave the cabin behind, make your way back into the woods and begin to follow the trail. The sky above gro- grows bright red as the sun begins to set. Eugene Earl pulls out his pocket watch. It is just before 6pm. It's taken quite some time to get out here. But there's just enough waning sunlight for you to read what is on the scroll. You unfurl the scroll and immediately determine that it's not paper at all. Rather, it appears to be some sort of animal skin. The hide looks quite old, but is surprisingly supple. As you unfurl it, you notice that attached to it are tiny little pinpricks of what appears to be fine white hair. I'd like everybody to make a Cthulhu Mythos check, please. This is either going to be a non-chair or it's going to be fucking human. Uh, I'm going to spend four luck. Yep. Hey, that's a three. That's an extreme pass for me. Yes. Why did I push that? Just the naughty luck. No, it's probably (laughs) better if you don't know. (laughs) You don't want to know. So those of you who passed realize that this is the skin of a Gnop Keh. And this realization costs you one sanity point. Of course it does. The glyphs glyphs that are written on the skin are lettered in a deep red ink that resists removal even by Restorer's Acid. It seems to be written in Hyperborean. And so, as soon as he sees this, Arkansas demands that you hand it over to him. I hand it to him. (laughs) Arkansas, please make a Norse check. Norse. That is a regular pass. That is a regular pass. Very well. Um, okay. Um, I'm streaming Galbear in the uh, thing because it's offline, so I, I, I can, I can get it up on my screen, but I have to. I can't let you join Owlbear, but I've now got the handout in Owlbear. Well, I may as well just drop it in Discord, so... <laughs> um, yeah. Well, actually, I can't, because I don't actually have the handout, so you have to look in the oh. stream, I'm afraid. Let me Jesus. just get it up. Um, yeah. Lee? Let me just get it up for you. Uh, here it is, Our Bear Rodeo. Uh, Arkansas, if you passed your Norse check, would you like to please read the scroll? The Last Testament of Zakosh Utan of the Seventh Colony. This is the only warning that will come from our accursed uh, valley in the land beyond the sea. Heed it well, for only one survived out of all the Seventh Colony. Our colony awoke the power of the Great One in the maze of caverns we discovered beneath the valley floor. Seeking to reclaim the glory we lost when we fled to the south, we were foolish enough to tap into that power. One among us, at Uthol, our greatest scientist, believed he could control that power, but he was wrong. Here is the land of the he- heathens of Aduqua. Aduqua. 
laden with great ones that serve them. Heed my warning, shun this valley. The great one sleeps there in the embrace of the machine. Now my days are over. In death, I will commit my spirit to, hide, to this hide so that it may last the ages. May Sathaguag. So words. Yes. <laughs> Guide it to those who avenge us. At the bottom of this dire message is a repeating of the phrase of opening as recited by Saddlemaker. I'd like everyone to make a send check, please. Yay! Yay. Oh, that's a 95, so that's a fail. I got a 97, so we're up there together. <laughs> hey! What was that, sorry? Uh, sanity check, please. Okay. Sorry, I had to let me see in. Uh, that is a pass. Okay, so... For passing, you lose nothing. For failing, you lose 1d4 sen. In addition, okay. everyone uh. who hears... In addition, everyone who hears Arkansas recite the message in the scroll may add three points to their Cthulhu Mythos score, regardless Ooh. of whether or not they lost any sand. Yeah, I'm now in the oh. double digits. Oh. Yeah. Wait, no, do I still yeah. take it even though I didn't hear anything? Um, no, you still heard. Yeah, you could still take it because he was reading it aloud to everyone as he translated yep. it. So everybody hears. Everybody oh, gets Cthulhu Mythos. Loud noises. And so, with that, as you emerge from the tree line once again onto the Hillbridge land, as you see the flickering lights on the second floor of the farmhouse beckoning you, what would you like to do? You can retire for the night, or... You could head to the crypt and use the phrase of opening to acquire the dust machine. Walter would actually like to retire for the night so that in the morning he can go to the general store and purchase the strongest torch that they have. That's a good idea. What does everyone else think? Mm -hmm. Because we've seen light dismisses them, or doesn't dismiss them, but makes them incorporeal. And we've now been told by the Elder that the machine lets you talk to them, which means that there's probably some there. Yes. Um, but let's go back to the storm. Mm. I mean... So... Wait. Yes, you know Boxley? Um, um, I mean... How do we know that Joe doesn't already have this info that we yeah. have? How do you know John doesn't already? Well, you can guess. It, it is reasonable to assume that if John had the phrase of opening, uh, then he would have taken yeah, the story of being, by Yeah, that's true, that is true. That said, but, now that Saddlemaker is in perhaps a... Not exactly his right mind after the spell that Walter cast upon him. Yeah, it's... He may tell 
Do you Go make ahead. changes to the spell? Sometimes, but in this case, no. Okay. I'm just trying to make people paranoid. Because <laughs> I mean, to make us paranoid. We are paranoid. We're living in a constant existence of paranoia, good <laughs> sir. <laughs> because the the spell that I use doesn't. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It just, but... they, they they fulfill the command that I give them, yeah, and that's just normal. But yeah, no. So... That said, who's to say that John Courage doesn't have a similar spell? That's true. God damn it. But he's known the Elder for so long that he's had plenty of opportunities. That is true as well. Instead, so... of, just, instead of just watching the bumbling fool that was slowly working his way through the place. So if all that is true, then indeed it is safe to retire for the night. So what would you guys like to do? Um, I suppose it's fair we can probably head back for the night as long as we're keeping a close eye on um, the other two that he's apparently after. Yeah, it's a good idea. So, trudge back through the field, step up onto the front patio, and knock on the screen door. There is silence for a moment. You hear movement on the other side of the door, and then you hear Rebecca's hushed voice. Yes? Is that... Is that Mr. Moxley and, and Arkansas and everyone else? Yeah, it's us. You hear her breathe a sigh of relief, and she says, Oh, thank God. You hear her unlatch the door. She pushes it open, invites you inside, and she says, I... I... I just finished up with dinner. Aurum and I were about to call it a night. There's some extra meals uh, in the ice box there. Put them on the stove for a few minutes if you're hungry. Other than that, finally I'll be able to sleep well tonight now that you're back. Had any, uh, any extra problems today? She looks at you and then she shakes her head. She says, no. Aurum insisted on us spending most of the day out in town. Oh, when we got back, it looked like somebody had tried to get in through one of the windows. She gestures for you to come and have a look, and you move over to where she is, and she points to one of the kitchen windows. She grabs hold of the window jam and moves it, shoves it with her hands, and it opens wide. She says, This was locked when I left when I left this morning. Furthermore, we lost the key. It's been jammed for God knows how long, but we came back and it was wide open. Aurum well, Aurum's taken to carrying that little revolver he bought around with him. He searched the house, and we indeed didn't find anyone, so we think we're safe, but I'm not going to lie if it hasn't got me at least a little bit unnerved. She looks over at you and she sighs and she says, Well, I'm going to try to get some sleep. I feel much better knowing that you're here. Hopefully... It'll be a quiet night, and tomorrow we can put an end to this whole ordeal. She bids you all good night, and makes her way upstairs, leaving you alone in the kitchen. 
Is there anything you would like to do before you head upstairs and retire to your bed? Retire to your beds. Uh, look, call me paranoid, but I think someone should take shifts on keeping an eye on the place while going for the night. Or just to jump onto that point, as far as taking shifts and standing watch, it might be time to upgrade the gun to the next attachment. Yeah, but even uh, use this. Yeah, all right. You could. Yeah, you could try to upgrade your gun. <laughs> uh, no, it's with. So we found out. What does light actually do to our enemies that we just found out? Well, you you have a sneaking suspicion that strong light will render the enemies incorporeal, which means they won't be a threat. All right. Do we have any? We've got torch lights, haven't we? I believe we're planning on getting more tomorrow. That's yes. what Malt You've got after. some torch. You've got Orem's archaeology equipment, even though it lacks many basic necessities, according to Arkansas, does include uh, torch lights. So you could possibly repurpose those, and Walter does plan yes. to buy more tomorrow. So, Well, if we're planning to buy more tomorrow, is it possible... You know, I'll just wait till tomorrow, don't worry about it. It's all good. Sure you don't want to sit up and uh, do it tonight? Because these torchlights, probably not going to need them. You are getting more tomorrow, getting stronger ones. Yeah, I was going to spend the time to see if I could upgrade the torchlight into a much powerful beam. By ah. refocusing lights. Ah, and that works. To make some total internal refraction to make it even larger. So basically... And that powerful. would mean that Walter wouldn't need to actually buy more more powerful lights as well. So that would save some time. Very if well. I upgrade the lens, that's probably what I can do at the moment. Yep, so you're not going to upgrade your gun, you're going to upgrade the torches themselves. Oh, it just duct tapes onto the bottom of the gun, so it's going to be... Duct tape one onto the bottom of the gun. Yeah, alright. Yeah. Um, so with that, is Eugene volunteering to take first shift? Mm-hmm. Right, so you bid each other good night, and Eugene, you retire to Orem's lounge room, gathering his archaeological equipment, carrying it into the kitchen, and busying yourself at the kitchen table while everyone else heads to bed. And several hours pass outside. What's left of the sunlight disappears until a thick, inky blackness blankets the farmhouse and the fields outside. You can't see more than a foot outside each of the windows, and it almost looks as if a dark cloud is of a dark cloud of impenetrable smoke is engulfing you inside engulfing the house with you inside it. I would like you to make an electrical repair check, please. Ooh, electrical repair. I was going to try and opt for a mechanical repair to go in Well, that'll be next. Lens. That'll be next for oh, okay. electrical repair. We're going to wake up and he's going to electrocute himself. <laughs> oh, boy. With a 9-volt battery. He yeah. comes out with his big, spiky, <laughs> smoking hair. Oh, that is a... That's a pass. That's a pass. So you take the four torches that Orem has, 
uh, you open them up and you remove the wires inside and the batteries and remove all of the globes and you spend about an hour rewiring two of them together essentially combining the voltage of two flashlights into one and when you're done you turn the flashlights on and the beam of light is at least three times more powerful than it was before. You could easily take these flashlights caving and they would be sufficient thanks to your work. Now make a mechanical repair check, please. That is a wonderful pass. You then take one of the improved flashlights, duct tape it to the contraption of a gun that your friend uh, Archibald constructed, and gathering some miscellaneous materials from the lounge room, you manage to rig up a mechanism that connects to the trigger of the gun, so that when you place your hand on the trigger, this mechanism tightens, which pulls the which pushes the button in on the flashlight turning it on you also have one spare flashlight for the rest of the group to make use of at this point it is just before midnight your shift is over and you are feeling tired who would you like to hand over your shift to all right i shall nick nominate Bob. you shall nick you shall uh Walter, you mean? Um, oh. oh, Walter, sorry. You <laughs> <laughs> had a character there. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> All good. You head upstairs, your footsteps creaking on the floorboards. Your shadow cast on both sides of the hallway, distorted by the distant moonlight outside to look demonic evil walking alongside you you reach the room where you've set up your supplies knock on the door and in a groggy voice inform walter that he's up next walter before you head downstairs for your shift is there anything you do i will take the spare light yep you take the spare light um and then just head downstairs, and I'd like to look out the windows and just... With the light? Um... Yes, I'll just go through past every window and just shine it out, have a look around. You grab the light and you turn it on, you're immediately impressed with the craftsmanship that Eugene has exhibited here. This light is just what you need as you point it out of the windows, it parts the inky blackness and allows you to view the fields outside. They appear to be empty, quiet, perhaps unsettlingly quiet. You decide to sit down at the kitchen table and await in case anything happens. I would like to periodically, to keep myself awake, like, so once every hour, just walk around the bottom story, yep, bottom floor check. of the house, and just check the windows each time. Yep. So you do this at least once. You see nothing on your second go-round, and then you return to the kitchen, seated at the table with the light pointing up into your face. About 20 minutes later, I'd like you to make a listen check, please. Okay, where's listen... 
third row, third down. Okay, this is one that I didn't put anything in, but uh, that's an 11, so that's a normal pass. From somewhere just outside the kitchen window, you hear what sounds like the fast, repeated tapping of footsteps. Something running at speed through the grass outside. You get up. Do you turn your? Do you, do you dare to show, shine your light out the window? I will shine my light out the window that it sounded like it was heading towards. Like, just yep. that is in the way of its running. And while I'm sh- shining it, I'm shouting, "Up and at 'em, chaps! We've got company." Okay, so you you immediately rise to your feet, grab your torch and shine it out through the window, just in time to catch a glimpse of something thin, vaguely humanoid, its skin, the pinkish colour of raw flesh, leaping off the ground with great speed, plummeting towards the second floor of the house. I need you to make a sand check, please. Yep, that would make sense. Uh, that's a fail! Okay, that is a sand loss of 1d6 for you. D6, okay, kitty dice, let's see how this goes. That was a 1, ha <laughs> A 1, yep, you are fine. You immediately... I have failed the sand check, but I have done some yep, work for the Mr. Tiger before. fine. You immediately <laughs> start barreling upstairs, shouting at the top of your lungs, banging your fists on the wall to wake everyone else up. Everyone else, you're jolted out of restless dreams by the banging and shouting, and you barely have a second to even register what's being said before you hear the sound of shattering glass and then the unmistakable, the unmistakable sound of Orem screaming, Ah! Followed oh, by, followed by Rebecca's ear-splitting scream of bloody murder. Shit. I would like to say that I was running straight to their room while banging yes, on the doors. Yes, you, you were, of course. Mm-hmm. What yeah. was everyone Just else go. What's everyone else uh-huh. doing? Uh, I believe after hearing that I'm going to be going straight there as well now. Yep. Grabbing my whip and... Yeah, grabbing your whip, yep. So all still in your pyjamas with Arkansas taking the time to grab his whip off the bedside table. You scramble out of your bedrooms and join Walter as he runs down the hallway to the master bedroom. At the end, you barrel through the door and a scene of chaos greets you. Rebecca, wearing a pink nightgown, cowers in the corner opposite the bed, her face white with terror, her eyes the size of dinner plates. There, on the bed, you see Orem struggling as the desh wraps its arms around him, attempting to pull him out through the big bay window that overlooks the bed, now shattered, shards of its glass scattered across the mattress and the floor. Shining my light at it. And whip going out to try and grab him and pull him back in. Yep. Very well. So, uh, Walter will try to shine his light. Uh, so I would like everyone's dex ratings, please. Oh, okay. Dex rating is 55. 65. 65. I am a spry old man. 
Okay. I'm 52 years of age, by the way. You are. Very spry <laughs> for your age. Okay. Spry, so, man. That's a 36 times 5. I'm just adding up something. Okay. So the dash has a dex of 110. So, um, out of all of you, out of all of you, uh, I believe Walter is the fastest. So, Walter, you are going to try to shine the light. I'd like you to make a dex check with disadvantage, please. Dex check disadvantage. Okay, let's see how this goes. And is this technically combat? Mm, no, not yet. Okay, so luck is an option. Awesome. All dead flavor. Uh, oh shit! Uh, oh, that <laughs> that was the first roll was a twenty-eight, which is hard anyway. But then I got an eight. Yep, which is an extreme. You step forward into the room in front of everyone, grabbing the light and shining it at this monstrous figure on the bed. Immediately, you see its skin begin to turn a dull greyish colour as it shines in the light, and it begins to flail its body desperately trying to drag Orem out of the window to escape the light. Uh, next up is Mike Moxley. Well, I can see this thing, and I know it's already not enjoying the light, so I'm going to take a photo of it. Yep, so make a dex check with disadvantage, please. Okay. First one was a 30. Let's see how oh, we right. go. Oh, right, disadvantage. Uh, well, I got tw- I got twenty three and a thirty, so thirty yep. is a hard pass for me. You grab your camera from it. You grab your camera from around your neck, hold it up, and not even attempting to get the, not even attempting to yeah. frame a proper shot. You just jam away at the button, activating the flash. Please make a photography check. Hey, I just realised that I read my rolls out as a D and D disadvantage. <laughs> 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 it happens, it happens. Yeah. It's still a hard pass, so, you know, I'll take it. Uh, it's a 14, so it's an extreme pass. Wow. Nice. You hear, a loud, you hear a loud hissing. The creature tries even harder to move towards the window. You see its movements getting slower, more deliberate, as its flesh-like skin begins to shine dully in the flashing light. Arkansas, what is your dex? 55. Okay, so Eugene, you get to go next. What would you like to do? Um, I'd like to power up my big torch and shine it directly the dash. Yep, please make a dex check with disadvantage. Because I'm fumbling. Yeah, that's going to be a fail, because you're not going to get much... Yeah, you scramble, you get your gun, and... Hold it aloft, but your finger fumbles on the trigger, and by the time you finally manage to turn on the light, the scene of chaos has already come to pass. Arkansas, what are you going to do? I'm trying to grab the guy with the whip to either, like, pull against the dash. Yep, go ahead, make a dex check with disadvantage. Uh, The first one is a normal pass. The second one is a fail. Okay, so that is unfortunately a fail for you. You grab your whip, hold it ready, but between you, Jocelyn, between you grabbing your whip and readying it to lasso around the dash and everyone else shining lights and flashing cameras, 
You are unable to uh, ready your whip in time. And the death shrieks. It raises its what counts as its arms. Indeed, rather, instead just thin, bony, blade-like sights to Orem's head. Buries them in. Orem opens his mouth, lets out a death rattle. <sighs> as the desh wrenches his head right off his body. And as the blood begins to spray around the room, the desh shrieks, writhes in place. It hurls Orem's head across the room, bouncing against the wall and landing on the floor next to Rebecca, who screams and sinks into a dead faint. And then it stops moving, finally succumbing to the light, beginning to melt away into a fine white powder that blankets the bed. I would like everyone to make a send check, please. I imagine why. If you tell me later that it required the third light to die, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> so, I rolled a 95 before, I got a 98 this time. I got a 94. I passed. Okay, <laughs> for those of you who passed, it's a sun loss of 1d3. For those of you who failed, it's a sun loss of 1d6. Oh, good. That's uh, a 3. That's a 5. Son of a bitch. Oh, <laughs> one. God damn it. Oh, well, <laughs> Eugene Earl is fine. Um, Mike Moxley, go ahead and do your... Go ahead and do your I've, intelligence I've check. Decided, I've decided that these, these insane check, these sand checks, the next character I'm playing is going to be a goddamn bonehead, because this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's a hard pass. Hard pass. Definitely okay. 20, yeah, it's, intelligence is the dumb step next campaign. I don't care who I'm playing. <laughs> Mike, you were... Mike, you immediately scream at the top of your lungs. Damn this man! And you grab grab your camera and start furiously taking photos of his headless corpse until you've used up all of the film in your camera. Oh, I feel bad for that person that's going to develop the film. That's usually me, but yeah. (laughs) Your camera, oh, you're going to go insane again. Your camera clicks yeah. again and again and again and whirs and whirs. You take 10 photos, 20, 30, until the light on the camera no longer turns on as it is out of film and you brought no spare rolls with you. Why would I not do that? Uh, well, <laughs> plot reasons. Well, I mean, you can make a luck <laughs> check to see if you have spare film. Oh, why not? Oh, maybe once I'm sane again. Yeah. Right now, I'm just sitting there, just clicking repeatedly. Yeah. Probably haunted by the fact. Yeah. Probably haunted by the fact that this is pretty much how Myra died as well. So good times all around. Clicking the camera repeatedly as it refuses to take photos until eventually you drop the camera. It clatters to the floor. You sink to your knees and just start to weep. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'll do it. The next morning, you all awaken after a restless sleep. The memories of the last of the previous night still fresh in your mind. And thanks to the fact that you were unable to sleep, anyone who has anyone who is on less than max HP is unable to recover the one HP over the course of the night. Did anyone lose HP? I think it was I just Myra, who, and she yeah. died, yeah. 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 
Yeah, it's literally just Myra. And yeah. so, as the sun comes up the next morning, the skies outside are grey, painting the draining the colour from the farmhouse and its surrounds, painting the grass a dull, dull grey-green, turning the dirt nearly black. You shuffle out of your bedrooms to see Rebecca, still unconscious, lying on the couch downstairs in the lounge room where you placed her, the master bedroom cordoned off, the white dust of the desh and Orem's headless corpse still lying where they fell within. Okay, I'm going to check this out. I've got extra film now that I've quote-unquote recovered from that. Go make a luck check. Oh, shit, no. I'm out. You were so eager to help Myra get this scoop that you failed to bring an extra roll of film, meaning your camera is now worthless. In a fit of well, rage, you slam your hand against the wall, cursing Orem once more and throwing your camera down on the floor of the bedroom. Yeah, congratulations. I'm now completely useless. Unless I'm, like, investigating stuff, I'm completely useless should any combat arise. Make your way downstairs and join everyone else at the kitchen table. No one is quite in the mood for breakfast. Okay, and... it's three days in a row that you've lost your items. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. <laughs> no one is quite in the mood for breakfast. You look, glance at each other's faces. All of your faces worn, heavy, with what happened last night. Rebecca appears to be safe. She does not appear to have been the target of the attack. And so, you at least think that this house will no longer be under the threat of John Courage. You can't help but feel bad that you couldn't prevent Orem's death despite his incompetence being what indirectly led you into everything bad that has happened so far on this case. But, you have no time to think about that. As the clock ticks over, 9am, as the sun comes up and does nothing to alleviate the cold, grey colourlessness outside, you must decide what you would like to do next. You know where John Courage hides, you can head out straight for him, or you can brave a trip into the crypt to get the, to get the dust machine and find out how it can be used to aid you. Well, if we if we take out this courage, then we can explore the crypt unfettered. That is correct. However, what's to say that courage does not have at least another dash under his command? Yeah, it's entirely possible. It's up to you. You, As far as you are aware, you only know that he summoned one out of Myra. But then you also remember that when you found Sam's corpse within the crypt... Yeah, we know he has at least two. Yes. That but said, that being said, that said, they only last 24 hours, don't they? You know that they last minimum 24 hours. Sometimes, in rare cases, they can last longer as it is a dice mm. roll, but 
usually the dash will return to its own place of existence after 24 hours. Well, we've killed one. And I'm sure if he'd wanted to stop us, he would have sent both last night. That is Mm. true. That being said, why he wanted to kill that buffoon is... beyond me. He was probably just the easiest target. Uh, I imagine why he wanted to kill that archaeology archaeology presence, so... That said, Orem uh, was Orem was the one who initially unearthed the crypt and yeah, thus so it's provoked Courage's wrath. Yes. Yay, revenge! I oh god, still say it's possibly best to stop Courage. Although how we're going to do that is we do have at least two debate. strong lights. I would definitely feel safer if we had more than that. Yeah, if you had some spare film. Ah, uh, we need a spare film or more torches. <clears throat> yeah, you could head into town, see if you can find some more torches. Keep in mind that the general store of Dunwich isn't particularly well stocked. It is, after all, just a repurposed old church. So it may be possible that you might not be able to find what you're looking for. In which case, like, it would be a waste of time. Yeah. It will be a I luck check thinking, in that case. I was thinking that a general store would have at least one torch for sale, but... Well, they probably have torches, but possibly not of the strength that you're seeking. Because you're thinking of, like, you know, heavy-duty, like, mining torches, caving torches, whereas he could just have you know, a normal torch that farmers use at night to track where the coyotes are or something. I still say go for courage. That's Walter's. Yep, that's what Walter wants to do. What does everyone else think? And you stop making us paranoid. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can only get so paranoid. Can't we? I can get more paranoid. Alright, so everyone wishes to go for courage Before we go, we've got to figure out how we're going to stop him though Yes, you feel that the dust machine is useful would Would be very useful But on the other hand, you also want to stop courage before he has a chance to do anything else. Who knows, maybe Saddlemaker might be his next target. Well, the other thing is, if we do open up the vault, what's to stop him from then just attacking us? That's true as well. By while we're in If we get the dust machine, then we can sort of have more of a chance to get these in. That's if what Saddlemaker said was true about the dust machine allowing communication between people and the Desh, and also being able to reverse Desh summonings. I feel like the information we get got from him was fairly good. So how mm-hmm. would you like to approach this? Either way, whatever choice you make, it will be the climax of the scenario. 
If we go for the dust machine, that way he's more likely to come our way rather than trying to go around to get someone else. And it would also save you from having to search for wherever he's hiding in the woods. Yeah, which yeah could be a problem considering we'll be hunting through the woods, hoping to come across him by chance, whereas he's going to know the area. And your outdoorsman mm. is currently on another continent doing an expedition. Yeah, that hasn't helped much. <laughs> That said, you were given a specific place to look. You were told that he's most likely on the eastern face of Bishop Mountain, but that is still quite a large area. It does narrow it down a lot, but that is still an area that would take at least three or four hours to thoroughly search. And meanwhile, he could have gone... could have things set up for visitors... That's entirely so true. true as well. Uh, well, then to the vault we go. You guys have put so many arguments against going to him, I guess we're going to the vault. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the choice you make, either way. It's the, the paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. So you, well. you check once more on Rebecca. She remains unconscious, <laughs> but she stirs slightly when you speak her name. She appears to be okay, if not utterly traumatised. She does not fully awaken. Yeah. Leave the house, locking the door behind you, and make your way into town. And as Orem is no longer here to borrow the uh, carriage that he used to ferry you to the vault last time, you must either go on foot or attempt to hail a taxi in Dunwich itself. Hmm. Can the others just take me to where he borrowed the... Go ahead, if you want, because you know where it is. So, the others take you to the neighbouring farm where Orem borrowed the carriage and the pony and mule team to draw it. The rest of you recognise the weather-worn farmer in his threadbare patchwork straw hat. He waves at you as you approach, and he says, Ah, heard a bit of commotion up from your place last night. Hope Orem and Rebecca are fine, as usual. Ah, uh, shit, we probably have to tell someone about that, aren't we? Uh, yes, the f- no, that wouldn't be a persuade check. That would be a fast talk. Um, <laughs> can I persuade him that everything's fine without actually saying anything in specifics? Yeah, you just say, "Oh no, that just we had a little accident. Everything's fine now, though." Go ahead, make a persuade check. <laughs> Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, that's a 19, which is a hard pass. <laughs> the farmer, Ed... I feel terrible about right back, chuckle. The farmer, Ed uh... Mayhew, just nods and he says, Well, uh, pass my regards to Orem when you see him next. I presume you're heading down to the dig today? Yep. Y- yes, we are. We would very much like to borrow your cart, good sir. He says, ah, oh, yeah, I've already got it rigged up with the mule as well. Oh, and please, uh, tell Sam I very much appreciate, uh, 
how he tried to uh, save my poor mule when he fell in the river, but sadly, with a wound like that, I don't think there was anything anyone could have done. At this point, oh, you realize that Mayhew does not even know that Sam perished within the vault, and that Oromore, oh. somebody must have told him that his other mule had an accident fell into the riverbed. Oh, damn it. He leads you into his barn, where, as he said, the carriage is already set up, hitched to the mule and the pony that draw it, and he pulls open the wooden door leading to the driver's seat and broadly beams as he watches all of you climb aboard, and then he tips his straw hat and says, Well, you guys have a good day down at the dig site. I heard that Arkansas is in charge now, so I suspect you're going to put this town on the map. Town definitely going to be on the map. (laughs) (laughs) And so, guide the carriage down through Dunwich proper out up onto North Fork Road, once again past the oddly domed hills of Wilson's Mountain and Wizard's Hill, past the strange standing stones that you have no doubt are linked to the Hyperboreans, until eventually, just as the just as the sun reaches its highest spot in the sky, as the late morning humidity begins to beat down upon you, still doing nothing to dispel the sense of colourless dread that has blanketed the Dunwich Valley. You arrive at the riverbed, the dry riverbed, littered with stone debris from Orem's dig. The crypt still sitting there, dug into the side of the hill, a pitch-black hole, like a mouth, sucking in all air. You halt the horses, climb out of the carriage, and begin to make your way up the hill towards the mouth of the crypt. Is there anything you would like to do before you enter? Make sure I'm holding a torch. Yes, you Make sure you're holding a torch. Make sure you're holding the, the spare torch that was left to you while Eugene holds his contraption of a rifle with a pith helmet and torch duct taped to it with strange mechanisms in front of him. And you step through the threshold. As you do, I'd like everyone to make spot hidden checks, please. That's uh, regular pass. That's a pass for M1. I'm going to spend nine luck to make it a hard pass. Yep. So, as you are about to step through the threshold into the crypt, Walter, you're looking from left to right, and there, out of the corner of your eye, you see it. Patches of grass crushed underfoot, leading up to the rocks at the top of the hill. You point them out to the rest of the investigators, who stop and take note of them. Right. 
I get the feeling that courage is here. And he's not going to be a cowardly dog about this. <laughs> Would you like to follow the tracks up to the top of the hill and see what you find? Yes. <clears throat> Very well. The tracks are fairly new. They're not more than a couple of hours old. And so you follow them through the crushed grass to the very top of the hill where old pieces of sandstone, where old pieces of granite and limestone lay scattered about the remnants of a set of standing stones that once took pride of place on the top of this hill. And following the tracks, you ready your weapons, expecting to find John Courage crouched behind one of the high stones waiting for you. Instead, as you approach the high stone, you see your heart sinks. You see a splatter of crimson blood painting the bottom of one of the stones, dripping down the top of the blades of grass. I'm back, we all did yet. Nope, not yet. No, but someone is. Oh, good! More dash. You sigh as you move around the rock, and there find Elder Saddlemaker slumped against the rock. The front of his head burst open, a six-pointed star carved into his skull. Yep, he got another dash. Yeah, we got another dash on our hands. Appears, it appears that he intended to make good on his plan of getting the dust machine and stopping Joe Courage, who was evidently waiting for him. Cool, which means he may possibly already have it himself. There is a chance that he is in the tomb. The tomb. Entirely possible. That awesome. said, you give the area a thorough search, and it seems the only set of tracks you can find are the ones leading to Elder Saddlemaker. Indeed, they appear to be his own tracks. If John Courage was here, he either left no tracks, or did a very good job of covering them. He has left no signs of his presence here. Hmm. Hmm. Unable to shake the feeling that something has gone terribly wrong, make your way back down the hill. <laughs> feeling is an understatement, good sir. Gee whiz, there's a man with an exploded head. I wonder if something didn't go quite right here. Mm. <laughs> and step down over the threshold into the crypt. Holding your lights aloft, you make your way once again down the long hallway, past the images of Hyperboreans placing themselves into stasis, using the dust machine to summon and communicate with Desh, until you emerge in the first chamber, and you see, thankfully, as you breathe a sigh of a collective sigh of relief, the hieroglyphics in the northernmost wall, still glowing, shining in your light. There is no sign that anything has changed. No new hidden door in the room. No 
rocks that have slided away to part the wall. The hieroglyphics remain glowing. The only other things of note in the room are the same as you same as last time. Nothing has changed. The strange metal shelf embedded into the stone wall and the many chemical stains upon its surface that Arkansas determined to be battery fluid. What would you like to do? Uh, I use spider hidden checks to make absolutely sure that nothing else has been in here and nothing's changed. Yep, go ahead if you like. For some odd reason, I don't seem to trust anything in there at all about what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I'll make a spot hidden check as well. Yeah, I got a 10, so that's a hard pass. Uh, I got an 11. And I got a hard pass as well. Actually, is an 11 an extreme for me? 11 is an extreme for me. Huzzah! Ooh. So you all fan out, you sweep the chamber, <laughs> kneeling down, pressing your hands upon the dust-covered Floor, trying to make out any sign of any recent visitors. The only footprints you can make out are several days old. The footprints left behind by your own party when you explored here days ago. There's no sign that anyone else has been within the crypt. Furthermore, you all feel your heart sink once more. As just to be safe, you move into the corridor beyond this chamber. Oh god, she's still fucking there. Examining Sorry, it, examining the ground to see if there are any fresh footprints. Finding that once again, you are the only ones who have been here since that fateful day. And then Mike Moxley and Arkansas, finding yourselves audibly gasping. As, you're, as you hold out your torches and your the beams of your light shine first across the body of Sam Horse Saddle, still lying where he fell, and then beyond it, Tamira Digger, still lying in place on the ground, her skin turned a dark, putrid grey as maggots begin to feast on her flesh. Oh, lovely. Cool, I'm just going to go throw up for a bit <laughs> I would like the both of you to lose one sand point. Yeah, Moxley is definitely vomiting. Moxley turns around and immediately vomits in the middle of the shaft and then joins the others in the main chamber, confident that you are alone here. No, no no confidence, but sure. (laughs) What would you like to do? Call the police, go home, anything but be here. <laughs> go to just an autograph signing. Not be here. Just go back to reporting about missing animals. <laughs> go check that the doorway hasn't been opened into the inner. Yep. Into the inner area. Yeah. So you head over to the inner area, Walter, stepping over the bodies of Sam and Tamira, and you find that the doorway is still there, buried in the dirt. No one has made any progress of digging deeper into the crypt. Okay. Um. Oh, excuse me. 
you all gather around the glowing hieroglyphics in the main chamber. And here, you decide... Is it time to attempt the phrase of opening? Is there anything we can do to help secure the room? Do you think there is? What would you like to do? No, Arkansas just got his whip ready to just reach out and grab anything. Like... Well, I'd definitely say shot, make sure we've got lights shining down the um, corridor just that we came from, just to make sure just that so nothing's coming. See, just so you could see the doorway. You point your flashlights down the shafts that you emerged from, and you could see at the very end the tiny circle of light indicating the entrance of the crypt. The coast appears to be clear, at least for now. Either way, just keep lights on it to make sure, because I'm sure the second we do this, things are going to move very quickly. Very well. Okay. As you gather around the glowing hieroglyphics, in order to open the hidden chamber requires 15 magic points. These can be donated by anybody who recites the phrase of opening, and anyone can donate any amount of magic points, but you must donate at least one. To recite the phrase of opening, you must succeed on a power check. Right. Um, did I get my one MP back? You did. Okay, cool. Well, I'm down for that. Alright, so there we go. Walter, please make a power check. Watch me fail. <laughs> yep, pushing. God damn go it. Ahead. So bring the evil into That's the better. universe. Uh, I passed with a 40. Very well. How many magic points would you like to donate? I will give up five. You close your eyes, recite the syllables that you remember Saddlemaker speaking to you. As you go, running your hand along the Ganoptes skin, tracing the words of your index finger. You feel energy well through your body, and when you open your eyes at the end of the recitation, two of the hieroglyphics cease to glow. Ten more magic points are required. Who would like to go next? Um, how much? How many um, magic points does everyone else have? Thirteen. Well, I have 13. seventeen. So M one has nine. I was going to say, um, how's everyone's power stats? Sixty-five. Forty-five for M one. Okay, so M1 probably shouldn't, because that just seems like a poor roll. Mm. And he might need those in case he wants to cast his summon dash spell. Yeah. I don't think um, we'll be using the, my my spell so I can put in some points. Uh, yep. I will happily put in at least five. Alright, so, well. so both of you please make power checks. That is just a regular pass. Well, that's a... sad because my power is like 85, so you'd think I'd be better at this. Yeah, that's <laughs> a 10, so that's an extreme pass. <laughs> you pass the Ganop Care skin back and forth as you take turns reciting the syllables written upon it. 
It takes 20 minutes. You gather around in a circle, chanting, until you feel the energy surge through your body, leave through your hands, and embed itself within the hieroglyphics, which cease to glow. The entire chamber begins to rumble, as if caught in an earthquake. And then, the wall with the hieroglyphics begins to slowly slide open, revealing on the other side a tiny alcove, barely big enough for one person, carved deep into the rock face. At the very end of it, you can just make out a, a black stone pedestal, and lying upon it, what must surely be the dust machine. I will share my screen so you can see what it looks like. Okay. Are we going to lose Sandy by looking at this thing? <laughs> uh, look, let's face it, at this point we're losing Sandy no matter what we do. It's... No, we're losing Sandy looking at a human skull. He knows. <laughs> you, step, you step into the alcove in single file. Who would like to actually be the one who retrieves the object? Because there's only enough room in there for one of you. <sighs> okay, do we want to shine one of the lights down there? Oh, to just see that it's just a, a straight line. There's nothing in there to try and stop us. Yep, you grab your light, you shine it down the alcove, and the alcove is at least 10 feet deep set into the wall, but it appears to be a straight walk from here to there with nothing but the dust machine awaiting you at the end. Okay, in that case, could I go back to looking down the passage we came from and do a spot hidden to make sure that uh, no one else has come down here? Yep. Because I trust nothing, and I'm sure people have been watching us as we've been making our way downtown. Shine your light back towards the entrance. Make a spot hidden check. That's a 19, which is a hard pass. A hard pass? You still see nothing there other than the small circle of light that reminds you that there is a way out. And you start feeling the desire to run to that circle of light and get out of here as soon as you can. Who do like that to say? Who'd like to head in and retrieve the dust machine? Walter will. Alright, Walter. You step into the alcove, leaving everyone behind you, holding up your intense light to shine your way, moving slowly down the passage until you reach the pedestal at the end, coming face to face with the dust machine. This device is made from a human skull, fitted with jewels and metal. The lower jaw is bolted in place with tiny brassy nuts. Ringing the cranium, mounted in metal sockets affixed to the bone, are 16 translucent gems. Eight of them on the left side, red, and the other eight on the other side, green. The eye sockets, nose openings, and other orifices are sealed with a porous foam spun from the now familiar brassy metal that this crypt appears to be made out of. The fissures of the skull's cranium are similarly sealed. Attached to the rear of the skull are two shiny metal plates, each hinged down the middle. As you reach forward, you press one of the plates with your thumb 
and this causes the plates to fold inward, revealing what appears to be two tiny cylindrical sockets with some sort of electrical machinery, looking like brass wires coiled at the very bottom. Each is marked with a symbol identifying positive and negative connections. Oh, that metal plate out in the hallway. As you lift the the skull into your hands, you close your eyes, expecting something to happen, but it doesn't. Indeed, as you clasp your hands around it, lift it up, and begin to return to the others, you feel a sense of relief and ease begin to set in despite your ghastly surroundings. Somehow, you get the feeling, now that you have this machine in your hands, everything will be okay. Nope. Yeah. Stop trying, stop trying to put that thought in my head, because it doesn't exist. None of that. Okay, I will walk back out to the group. And then... I'm going to sleight of hand it to make it look like I'm giving it to someone else. Very well, make a sleight of hand check. Uh, That is a 17, which is a normal pass. You approach Mike Moxley, who shines his flashlight still down the entry shaft of the crypt. Mm-hmm. Make a motion as if you're going to hand the dust machine to him. And holds I out his hand, and then whisper. Add, yep. And I whisper, pretend to take it. Mike Moxley mm-hmm. withdraws his hand, clasping it close to his chest as if he's holding the skull there. As you turn around, concealing the skull from view, still holding it in your own fingers. What would you okay. like to do? Now I would like to usher the group to the metal plates on the wall. Yep. You guys do that. I'm going to continue looking <laughs> down the entrance because I, I, yeah, I don't care about how safe people might feel. No. Yeah, you, you continue <laughs> shining your light down the shaft, still not seeing any signs of movement. And meanwhile, Walter gestures for you. Eugene and Arkansas to follow him as he crosses over to the metal shelf jutting out of the wall, covered in stains of old battery acid. What would you like to do? Um, Is there any way that I could determine if one of the plates is positive and one of the plates is negative? It doesn't appear as if it doesn't appear as if this plate itself has any sort of contacts for powering things. Rather, it seems to be an ordinary metal shelf covered in old battery acid. I'll allow you to make an intelligence check as an idea check. Yeah. Is this the one that electrocuted Mara? No, no, that was the hieroglyphics in the wall. Oh. Uh, which, uh, which, ooh, could be, actually... which could be an option, except they're no longer glowing now that you've read the incantation, so they're uh, no longer electrified. Uh, 22, yeah. which is a hard pass. 
it seems that this was some sort of workshop, as it's adjacent to the room that contained the dust machine. You get the impression that the Hyperboreans who resided here used this table to make batteries to power their machine, explaining the copious stains of battery acid that litter the metal. Okay... Considering, uh, um, considering Arkansas identified it as essentially being the same as modern battery acid, it seems that a it seems that any battery would work. And then your heart sinks as you realise the only batteries you have on you are those that are powering your flashlights. And there's the kicker. Uh, professor. Yes, He's says... not here. Uh, oh, yep. Yes, says um, Eugene. I'm gonna trust you to keep the light on your gun. Um, can you hook my light up to the skull? Would In... Arkansas have any batteries? Like he'd have an archaeology kit. Would there be anything in that that would? Yeah, prob just probably a uh, make a luck check, please, Arkansas. Never want someone to pass electric so badly in my entire life. <laughs> we need more lights, damn it! More lights. Still don't know what we're gonna do when we activate this. Thing. Yeah, you still have to I figure out. Know. Still have to figure out how it works and what it does. Uh, that is just a pass. Just a pass. You happen to be in luck, Arkansas. You kneel down and, in the folds of your khakis, retrieve your pocket archaeology kit. You open it up, and inside there is a tiny pen light with a single small battery within. Hands it over to see if it works. Uh, Hand it over. One, it appears one more battery is required. So who's going? Do do we have any spare wires? You'd have to make a luck check. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'll make a luck check. Let's see what happens. Oh, uh, no. Oh. <laughs> I'm three off. Fuck off. Oh. Oh, and you can't spend so much luck. luck checks. <laughs> no, you can't. The professor, oh. Professor Eug- Dr. Eugene stand, steps towards the workshop. He takes Arkansas's battery in one hand, and then he looks at, looks at Walter and Mike in turn, and with a grim look on his face, he says... Piers, I'll need one more. Hmm. Oh, well, then that means we only have one light. We don't have enough lights anyway, so... Well, there'd be two lights. There'll be two the lights. There'll be... Yeah, there'll but be... if I give up my light for this... Well, yeah, at the moment we have two lights, yes, but that's not enough to kill the dash quickly enough to stop doing anything. Wasn't anyway. there three lights? No, well, because the flash from the camera was the third yeah, light yes. in the house. Yeah, yeah, well, you're banking on the idea that the dust machine will be able to save you if you could get it operational. Mm. So it's up to you. Are you willing to gamble on the dust machine, figuring out how it works and having it save you? Or would you rather keep those strong lights operational? Uh, Walter is the kind of guy that would have a backup plan, which would be the lights still functioning. <laughs> yes. 
think part of me just wants to smash this stupid skull and be done with it, because if he wants it, then... But if we want to try and stop all the dishes, I don't... I don't... I don't... No! You're like... The best way is this... If we can interact with the dash, that we can sort of stop them better than hopefully trying to kill them. I hand over my light. Your flashlight blinks into darkness as you extract the battery and hand it to Dr. Eugene. Dr. Eugene busies himself placing the dust machine in front of him and attempting to rig the batteries into the cylindrical slots. He's going to make an electrical repair check, which he fails the first time, but is going to push. Thirty-one, that's a pass. He inserts both batteries into the cylindrical slots on the back of the skull and then clips the metal plates back into place. Immediately, the skull begins to emanate a low, staticky hum. And the gemstones embedded into both sides of the skull begin to glow green on one side, red on the other, bathing the entire chamber in a dim fluorescent light. What would you like to do? I'm not making the same mistake that Mara had, so I'm not saying anything. (laughs) (laughs) But why? I would like everyone to please make a listen check. Here we go. That is just on a hard pass. Somehow I passed that. I failed it. Hard passes, no criticals. No, I only got a normal. It is at this. It is at this point that I reveal that when I rolled stealth for John Courage earlier, he rolled a critical. In fact, the best possible critical he could get. If you scroll up, you'll see where I rolled a one. No, damn it! (laughs) Fuck everything. He's been here this whole time. (laughs) Fuck. It is at this point that you Wait, notice. Roll a one. Uh, scroll up. It's got like me and M1 rolling right at the same time. Um, uh, let's see. It was at. Uh, let me. Where is it? One, 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 one. There is a one that I rolled. Uh, let the only me one I can it. see. Oh yeah. No. The only one that I can see is the one that M1 rolled. Yeah, I'm the one that you rolled was a 38. Was it at, uh, 34? Uh, it was... Oh, okay, on my screen that showed as a 1. And then it has 38 Mm -hmm. right after it. I'm Um, pretty sure I got all of them that on my spot hidden. Because I can make a picture of what it says on ours. Yeah, for us, (laughs) it's got M1s, then then it's got yours and a 38. Alright, so I was mistaken, because the way it showed up on my my screen, it showed a 1. So in that case, I will make up I'll make it up to you by giving you a slight advantage here. As if you had to... De- <laughs> oh, as sorry, if- I, don't, I don't want to ruin the entire yeah. thing. Well, but- actually, we'll say you passed your listen checks, and you would, in that case, if he rolled a... If he rolled a 38, in that case, uh, whoever got the hard listen check 
would have heard him. So as you, as you examine, as you wave your light, uh, unfortunately you still weren't able to find him with spot hidden because he's still got a no. hard pass on his stealth. But no, with the listeners, you were enough. So as you continue to point your light down the shaft, as everyone else gathers around the dust machine, as it begins to hum. Oh no, I'm still looking down the hallway. You, Mike Moxley, hear what sounds like shuffling coming from further down the shaft, towards the entrance, but not from outside. You shift your light in the direction of the disturbance, and there you see it. What you thought was simply a patch of detail on one of the drawings. What you thought was a thick... A thick line depicting a gateway into another realm is actually a fissure in the dirt, just big enough for someone to step into. And, as if on cue, you see climbing out of it and beginning to walk down the hallway, his footsteps echoing in the tiny shaft, what could only be John Courage. That's definitely John. You can let him get closer so he gets into the light if you want to see. I just Mm. imagined Peter from Hunger Games when he opens his eyes (laughs) on the riverbank. Yeah, it's essentially (laughs) what he was doing. He crept into the crypt. He crept into the crypt and and hid in a little crack in the wall. That's why. Um, that's why there were no footprints in the chamber itself because he didn't go he's in just the been chamber here the whole time. Okay. Yeah. Do we see? Uh, do all of us see him, or just the person? Just, just, just Mike. Boss? Just Mike Moxley so far, unless he wants to make everyone else aware. I feel like the second I do that, he's gonna move a lot quicker. But I am going to hold a hand out towards him and I will let everyone else know that he's here, but the second he tries to move or anything happens, I'm actually going to cast Swell Mind on him. Ah, oh. good idea. Because I'm not fucking around with this guy. So I was going to cast Dominate, so... Nope. <laughs> not interested, this fucker has to go and I can't be bothered trying to... Uh, no. His footsteps... His footsteps... If he keeps... Oh, sorry. Yep, go ahead, go ahead. What were you I was going to say, if he keeps moving after M... To see his thing, I will try to cast Dominate. Very oh, well. He shouldn't, but the either way, Mike's, yeah, Mike's just look over and... As he walks closer and closer, slowly, slowly, making no rush to get to you, walking almost as if he's on a leisurely stroll, and then eventually he passes the halfway point of the shaft, steps out of the shadows, and for the first time is visible, Mike, in the beam of your light. You see him, his eyes narrowed, glowing with hatred on his leathery, brown-skinned, native face. His features warped and twisted thinly to the point that they resemble some sort of bestial animal, his mouth narrow, triangular, his nose little more than nostrils dug into his skull and his ears long and pointed. As he sees you, 
He flashes what you can only assume passes for a smile. He opens his mouth and he says, Give me the dust machine. I will leave you in peace. Yeah. Like at this point, who's lost a ton of sand and one of his friends looks and goes, Oh, I got something I can give you, buddy. And just immediately here yells the rest of them going, This bastard's here with us! And immediately casts Swell Mind on him. As soon as you say, as soon as you say Mike's got something he could give you, Courage raises his hand, his eyes glowing bright red, he opens his mouth, revealing sharp, bestial teeth, and he begins to recite the first syllables of his summon death spell. You call out to the others, and you begin to cast the spell of your own. Swell mind. Please make a power check. And it will be opposed to his. Well, that's a problem for him, because I just rolled a four. Oh! (laughs) Jesus! No! No Jesus, only (laughs) death! That is a a 33 for Mike Courage, as he trails off... John Courage, I'm Mike. Oh, yeah, 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 John Courage. (laughs) He continues reciting the spell, and you begin to feel in the recesses of your mind the dash burying its claws in your brain, and then suddenly it's wrenched out of your head as his monotone chant turns into... An agonized scream ah! as he clasps his hand to his head and falls to his knees. Spend your magic points and roll your sanity, please. Yep. That's three magic points, which is fine. Still got plenty more to work with. And sin. Well, three. Of course, that's a three. So you lost mm-hmm. the maximum amount of sand, but... Your spell, deals, <laughs> your spell deals one point of damage to him this round as he clasps his head and falls to his knees. And as he screams in agony, he reaches out with the palm of his hand and points towards you with a bony finger. And then, out from the chasm where he was hiding, climbs... Half climbing, half hovering, the thin, fleshy form of his summoned Desh. I would like to cast Dominate on the Desh. Very well. The Desh crawls out into the beam of light. Although of solid matter, this Desh is semi-transparent, continually fading in and out of view. Lingering images, chemical memories from the nerve fibre of the brain used as its gateway flash intermittently through its pale skins. This creature, this thing, this this monster that is barely even present in your reality makes no movement. Instead, it hovers in space, hovers in the air above John Courage as he clasps his head, screams in pain, and then with supernatural speed, begins to zoom down the shaft towards you all. Luckily, you've seen a dash, so you don't need to make a sand check. <laughs> Yay! We're probably still going to die. So, uh, 
Walter, you'd like to cast Dominate on the Desh? Yes. Very well. You step forward, seeing the Desh zooming down the corridor towards all of you, intent to attack you and take the dust machine as its controller lies in agony on the floor. Make your power check, please. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh, uh, that is a 13. 13, very well. That is for you, I believe, a hard pass. Hard pass, very well. I'm working out what the power of this dash actually is. That's fair, that's fair. So his power is 90, because he has 3d6 plus 5, so he has 90. So he's going to attempt his... Or it's... Come on. That is a 77. (laughs) He's going to push. No. Oh, shit, balls. Come on, come on, come on. on. 79. The Desh hesitates, lingering in midair for the briefest moment, just long enough to gaze at you, waiting for you to speak. I am going to command it to leave us. And for each turn, I'm going to spend another MP and Sanity for another four turns to make sure it gets as far away as possible while we deal oh. with Courage. When you, say, and when you say leave, do you mean like leave as in leave? Leave us. Like I'm just leave saying leave. Or just, oh, I'm just okay. saying leave. I don't as care you... if that means it leaves our plane or just leaves the cave. As you bark your order, it lingers there in midair. And then it turns, zooms up the shaft, and then lingers there, hovering in the air behind John Courage as he continues to stray and continues to scream. Meanwhile, the Desh sits there in the air, continuing to flicker in and out of existence, its body changing into multiple colours as flashes of Saddlemaker's memory shoot through the nerve fibre that makes up its body. It glares at you with multiple insect-like eyes, burning with rage and anger as it waits for your spell to wear off so it may resume its attack. Oh, good. So, um, I just want to clarify... I thought you can clarify for this. Yep. By words as written, dominate can be cast and recast as many times as the caster finds possible, allowing a target to be controlled without interruption. Yes. Does that mean that I need to make power checks every time? You need to make power checks every time. Okay, well, I'm still going to try and do it. Yep. For this round, you've got it. Very well. Uh, um, Arkansas, what would you like to do as Eugene... Eugene Earl continues fiddling with this dust machine, turning it around in his hand, pressing in the gemstones, and with the end of his thumb, he presses in one of the green gemstones. It clicks into place, and when he removes his thumb, it comes back out of place, and he just lets out a loud, hmm, Arkansas, what would you like to do? Um, Arkansas, being fascinated with sort of the unknown trinkets type of stuff is probably going to assist if he can with the yep. skull. I will be right back, sorry. So Arkansas, I would allow you to please make either an occult or Cthulhu mythos check. Okay. And you may do it with advantage as you're both assisting each other. 
So let's push that. And that is just a pass. That is a pass. So it appears that when all of the gemstones on either side of the skull, either the green ones or the red ones, are pressed in, this will cause one of the dust machine's functions to activate. However, with this limited time, you're unable to determine which function is performed by pressing which gemstone or even what that function is. All you can determine, however, is that as there are eight gemstones on each side and they all have to be pressed in at the same time, it requires two people to fully press in all of the gemstones. Okay. Meanwhile, Mike Moxley, are you continuing your spell? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I will keep that going if it keeps him out of the fight. He screams some more. Ah, as you deal four points of damage to him. No longer on his knees, he falls down into the dirt, lying flat on the ground, as writhing he, as in he's pain. As he's lying there screaming, just get a mic going, Oh, I'm sorry, are you having some issues? Jeez, it's almost like killing people by bursting stuff out of their head hurts like hell. <laughs> we move to Walter. Walter, the dash hovers in the shaft, just above courage. It senses its chance and begins once again to zoom forwards towards you. Please make a power check if you'd like yep. to recast the spell. I would. I'm just removing my sun and MP. Time to cast again. Come on, come on, come on. I would like to push that. Yep, go ahead. That's a seven. That's a seven. Very well. The dash uh, Which is an extreme, just for... It is an extreme, yes. For when you... Yep. So 79 and another push. A 68. The dash once again hesitates, not returning to courage, but instead hovering, standing in the doorway between the shaft and the chamber where you stand, still flickering, still changing multiple colours, reaching out its scythe-like hands, thrashing them in your direction, desperate to get to you, but unable to move due to your spell. Can I change my command to try and make it move further away? Um, you... That would necessitate... You can do that on the next round. Okay. But you've bought another round, it's not attacking... Yep. Meanwhile, Dr. Eugene and Arkansas sit with the dust machine. They fiddle with it, and they have determined that pressing in either the green gems or the red gems will activate it. It would take perhaps another round of examination to try to get some hint as to what that function would be. Otherwise, you may go ahead, pick a colour, press it in, and see what happens. He's um, riddle green. Or do you um, want to spend another round attempting to see what it does and risk the dash breaking out of the spell and attacking? I feel like 
Yeah, this is sort of pretty much like it does. Yeah, we'll risk, risk in another round. Alright. I would like both Eugene... I would like Eugene Earl to please make an electrical repair check, while Arkansas may make another Cthulhu Mythos check. And is this with advantage again, or...? Uh, this time just normal. Just You're normal? doing separate things. Oh. Well, that's a 18, so that's a pass. Okay, Hooray. we'll see if... And that's a pass for Dr. Earl and his electrical repair. So Eugene Hooray. Earl, you flip open the battery compartments at the back of the dust machine and trace the wires at the bottom, and you realise that the negative battery is connected to the red gemstones is it is the negative battery is connected to the green gemstones and the positive battery is connected to the red gemstones thus meaning to you that whatever the red gemstones activate it uses positive electricity bringing something into this realm and the green gemstones use negative electricity, pulling something away. So, go green. This, combined with Arkansas's findings, gives you a reasonable assumption, Arkansas, that the green gemstones will unsummon any dash that are present, while the red gemstones will in fact open a gateway to the world of the Desh and allow them to flood through. Yeah, green? green? Green sounds good. Okay. We move to Mike Moxley. Mike, you still keeping the spell up? Uh, I mean, you're starting to get tired, but yeah, I'm going to go go again. All right. Spend more magic points. and More magic points. I got, I got one more round left to hit me after this. One more round. That is six this points one. of damage. John Courage shrieks as he rolls rolls onto his backside, clutching his hand to his face, and now in the beam of his light, you can see that out of his eyes and nostrils flows a torrent of blood. I hope this hurts you, piece of shit. (laughs) Walter, are you going to attempt to keep the dash at bay once again? Uh, yes. I'm going to attempt, but change my order to leave this place. Leave this place. Very well. Make a power check. Uh, pushing. Uh, 28, which is a... Is uh, Can I spend a luck... You can spend a luck. I'll spend one luck to make it a hard pass. Very well. 89. And one more push from the dash. 84. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. The dash still <laughs> flickering. <laughs> the dash still flickering. Its eyes still burning with anger and hunger. Begins to slowly make its way back up the chasm. It is reticent to fully leave the tomb as it doesn't want to descend it doesn't want to ascend out into the sunlight so instead it once again takes its place above the writhing screaming form of courage awaiting another chance to attack 
I mean, that's okay. He's not near me, so. Uh, <laughs> very uh, well. Uh, we go to Eugene Earl and Arkansas. Do you wish to activate the dust machine? And if so, which colored gems will you press? Green buttons. All right, the two, of get you are, rid of it. the two of you are required to press all of the gemstones into place. I would like both of you to please make dex checks. That is an 18, so that is a hard pass. Oh, that is a pass. Okay, you all, you both lean over, and using all of your fingers, begin to press in the green gemstones. Click, 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 until between the two of you, you've pressed in all of them. The skull, still softly vibrating begins to begins to vibrate louder as it begins to shake there on the metal shelf causing the metal to rattle growing louder and louder and louder then the dust machine opens its jaw its mouth wide open as a great green light shoots outwards Filling the entire chamber with a bright green glow. There, in the center of the room, the green light begins to coalesce, spiraling around, forming a spinning spiral in the middle of the room. The dust machine begins to glow, begins to glow a bright green, begins to hum and shake even brighter. And louder, you struggle to keep your hands on it, struggle to keep the gems pressed into place. Then, the green vortex in the centre of the room opens. A ragged tear in the time-space fabric that begins to unleash a great roar, a great sucking sound. As it sucks all dash within 50 yards into the spinning vortex. The dash that hides, waiting above courage, gives a token show of attempting to struggle. But then it is caught in the dust machine's grasp. And within seconds, it is pulled down the shaft towards the vortex, letting out a terrified scream. As it's pulled into the vortex, within a span of seconds, its body compressed in the tear of time and space, crushed into nothing with a loud pop as the dash moves to the other side. Then, out in the shaft, John Courage begins to scream more and more. As he clasps his head, clasps his hands to his head once more, there is a sickening squelch as his head explodes like a watermelon, littering the shaft, the floor and walls around him with gore. As hundreds of minor dash spill forth from within his brain. Silvery tadpoles glowing in the light. Zooming 
with supernatural speed towards the shaft, their tiny teethless mouth moving, sucking in the air. I need everybody to make a dodge check, please. I was going to say, if, if it wasn't for the, the asking for the dodge check, Mike was going to look at his hands and go, wait, did I do that? <laughs> I don't think that's how the spell works, but that's uh, a hard pass with an 18. Is this technically combat? Oh, I mean, technically, yes. So I can't push? You can't push this. Okay, I failed. You failed. Oh, shit. Arkansas. Yep, Regular yep. pass. Okay. As you see this torrent of minor dash, hundreds, no, thousands of tiny silvery tadpoles wiggling through the air, their featureless faces and tiny black mouths gasping at nothing, screaming, trying to resist the pull of the dust machine. You all throw yourselves to the ground, all of you except Walter, who for just a moment is transfixed, perhaps a consequence of his spell going on for too long. They barrel right through Walter, dealing... This should be interesting. Uh, let us see. Are you going to lose two characters in the span of two episodes? 3D, six points of damage as they surge through you, using their featureless mouths to burrow straight through your flesh. You fall to the ground, gripped by terrible pain. I would like you to make a con check, please. Yeah, okay. I mean, to be fair, considering that was 3d6, I was going to say, considering that was 3d6, you only took 6, that's... Uh, That's a 46, that is a normal pass. You remain conscious, but fall to the ground in spite of yourself screaming in pain as you look down and see your torso, arms and legs pockmarked with hundreds pockmarked with hundreds of tiny holes as the lesser dash have burrowed right through you. Oh. You all turn your gaze to look at them, the cloud of flickering, shining silver creatures as in unison they as in unison they are sucked into the green portal with a loud roar. <laughs> There is a loud pop as, as one, the green light and the vortex disappear, taking the lesser dash with them. The dust machine stops vibrating. All of the green gems once again click as they pop out of their recesses and from the back of the skull, a great, a great plume of black smoke billows. Dr. Eugene Earl cautiously opens the battery compartment to find both of the batteries within the dust machine burnt to a crisp, nothing more than black charred metal and stains of battery acid, battery acid littering the inside of the dust machine. You have survived. Arkansas is going to go over and do like a like heel check. <laughs> yep, go ahead. Mike, Mike's, Mike's going to go over and friggin' spit on what's left of Mr. Courage. That, that, that's a far, so that's an extreme medicine check. Yep, straight medicine check. So that is 
4 HP restored for uh, Walter as Arkansas immediately gets to work patching up the tiny holes, stemming the bleeding as torrents of blood pour down Walter's torso and his arms and his legs. This long in this career and not a single injury and now I've got this many scars. This is <laughs> impressive. However, <laughs> give you a few more if you want. <laughs> even though you weren't killed by the minor dash, you do still suffer some permanent damage. Your power yeah. is permanently reduced by 1d6 and so is your oh, appearance. Oh, son of a... Yeah, that, that's, 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 <sighs> a, sucks, that's kind of fair, really. <laughs> yep. Uh, Can't really argue with that, unfortunately. Two for my power and two for my appearance. Okay, that wasn't oh, as bad. Not as bad. You're just gonna have you're gonna have some you're gonna be pockmarked with scars, but you don't look. They haven't disfigured you. As for your power, <laughs> your faculties are still mostly there. You could feel your head throbbing in pain as it recoils from the assault. It's just endured, but somehow you feel you will recover. Meanwhile, Mike Moxley makes his way over to what's left of John Courage. His head missing, nothing more than a puddle of gore lying on the dirt floor. His brown skin shines in the beam of your sunlight, and he wears nothing more than gold-trimmed robes covered with intricate embroidery of hyperborean imagery. In his left hand, he clasps a small leather-bound tome. Oh, first things first, as I said, Mike's gonna friggin' spit him and goes, suppose it's a fitting end for you, buddy. And then I will go and have a look at the uh, book he's got going on. Arkansas takes the robes with his symbols. Yep. You open the book and find it to perhaps be some sort of journal handwritten in Hyperborean runes. You hand it over oh, to Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas. Yeah, yeah Arkansas's going to need to translate it. Yeah, that is, on the push, is a six. <laughs> so that's a hard, an extreme pass for Norse. Dr. Earl grabs the dust machine, hoists it off the table, and then he, he, Arkansas, and Walter, Arkansas with his arm wrapped around Walter, offering his shoulder to the greatly wounded man, come to join you. As Arkansas takes the notebook, opens it, flips to the end, and begins to translate the writings within. This is Courage's diary. The entries date from several years ago and describe Courage's graduation from high school and his enrollment at Hyde Park Community College in Boston. While he was a student, he was contacted by a group calling themselves the Guardians of the Outer Light. Professing interest in Courage because of his Hyperborean lineage, he tells of feeling a sense of belonging for the first time in his life. Courage recounts his initiation into the cult and later his learning of many interesting and forbidding, forbidden things, including magic that allowed him to summon creatures from the spaces that surround us always. 
after discovering that the knowledge shared within, with him by the Guardians of the Outer Light was slowly destroying his mind, that they were only using him because they recognised the mysterious bloodline he carried. Courage used Greater Desh to wreak a bloody vengeance on them, destroying the entire cult, before fleeing back to Dunwich to nurture his madness and his resentment towards the world. Scrawled across several pages is a series of incantations and spells, rituals used to summon both the Greater and Lesser Desh. The entries end with him deciding after his experiences with that cult that knowing that they only wished to use his knowledge for their own ends to become a guardian of hyperborean knowledge to ensure that only those who are most worthy of it were able to obtain it he writes in he writes about how in prior months he was contacted by someone who shared the same cause as he to safeguard hyperborean knowledge a professor from a university in Arkham, going by the name Curtis Matheson. Professor Matheson, who ordered John Courage to ensure that all traces of Hyperborean knowledge were to be kept hidden, stored away from those who are unworthy of it. And it is to this end that John Courage deigned to use his recently discovered powers. The very last entries of the diary concern his own research. His research with summoning Desh, how he can only summon one at a time and requires a host who must die in the process. Through weeks, months of research, Eventually, Courage determined that he could summon lesser Desh, Desh that would take months and months to reach their greater forms, but who he could summon using his own brain as a sort of nursery to nurture them. How he summoned hundreds, perhaps thousands, of these lesser Desh and allowed them to infest his mind so that they could grow bigger and bigger, feeding upon his thoughts, until one day he could allow them into the world. He writes that he has done this with little harm to himself, though he has come to suspect in recent times that the more lesser Desh he summons, the more his grasp on sanity wanes. Thus concludes the journal. It contains at the very end inscriptions for his spell to summon the Lesser Desh and another spell, Sense Life, that allows the caster to detect the presence and general nature of a life form in a targeted area. Anyone who wishes to learn this may go ahead. I would like to learn it. Very well. I'd like you to please uh, subtract from your sanity 1d6 san. Damn it, that's a five. <laughs> and you learn sense life. It allows you to detect the presence and general nature of a life form in a targeted area. It costs one magic point and one sanity. The area that can be scanned for life is equivalent to an average size house 
must be within sight of the caster. The spell allows you to differentiate between species, like dogs and people, but cannot identify a specific individual. In addition, if you are using sense light and are able to detect the presence of someone or something, this counts as seeing them for the purpose of either you or yourself casting a spell such as Swell Mind or Summon Greater Dash upon them. Or Dominate. Or Dominate. Woo! It takes the rest of the day for Arkansas to thoroughly translate the journal and impart this knowledge to you. And so when you finally emerge from the tomb, you find yourself stepping once again into a Dunwich Valley blanketed in darkness. You have survived the dark wood, but there is still one matter to attend to, and that is how to explain the unfortunate deaths of Sam Horsaddle, Myra Digger, and Orem Hillbridge. Yeah, that's... Well, we have a... a more, yeah. more than one to explain. Yeah, There's yeah, a river. You can't just... Yeah, but they still have to explain where they went, or if we can't just... Are you seriously oh, suggesting we just dump all three of them and say, oh, everyone went missing? Let's well, we, Zara Chamberlain it. We also have a person here who was the cause of the deaths. They've all died in very gory, very obviously unnatural ways. Well, we, can, we can solve the, the last three deaths, but we just can't solve the first place death. Perhaps Walter. Perhaps Walter's got the best course of action. Just dump them all in. Dump them all in the river. And as far as anyone else is aware, they went missing. Never showed up again. Uh, Rebecca is the only one who knows the truth, but it's unlikely anyone would ever believe her. Uh, really? Is there a back road to Oren's house? Indeed, there is. Back through what the have woods we... along Bishop Mountain. Put the bodies in the cart, take it back to the house, and break the window. Someone broke in and murdered them. By accident. My next question would be okay, but then what were they all doing there? Well, Who that's, knows? that's your job. You're going to be writing the article about it. Oh, <laughs> why, why? Don't put me in this position. Jesus. <laughs> No, well, uh, um, Oren and his wife were there because they lived there. Yeah, Myra was there because she got asked. She was yeah. asked to help, and John was there because he went there to talk to Oren in person about stopping the excavation. Yeah, and then okay. someone murdered them. And Sam. Sam was helping Oren with the investigate uh, with the dig. Yeah, well, he did. Does have a he does have a lounge room full of things he's brought from the dig. They're not very valuable, but it's entirely plausible that the person he had employed to do the digging was uh, there to help him sort through them or something. Okay, so what we're getting at is we somehow carry all of this back, set up a makeshift murder scene. And then just say, well, gee whiz, we have no idea where the murder went, despite the fact we've all been staying there for the better part of the last several days. We went down to the deep to yeah. check it out. 
they broke in, we came back to the house, saw everyone dead, and we go get the cops that are probably yeah. from out of town. Yeah, from Arkham. Oh, yeah, they're all from Arkham, so they're going to go, oh, my God. Uh, potentially say that, like, John was the murderer and we killed him to protect Rebecca? Yeah, you could say a story of self-defense. Uh, he came in, murdered the three, and the only cause to protect Rebecca and ourselves was to... Was to shoot to him. To shoot him as well. Alright. I hate uh, all of this, but at the same time, I have no other ideas on how to make this work, so... Very well. I would ask Walter <laughs> to please make a sleight of hand check to orchestrate this crime scene. Ah, uh, Walter. Sorry. Uh, what <laughs> check, sorry? Sleight of hand to orchestrate this crime scene. Um, then we still have to try and persuade the wife to just never explain what happened to anyone which I, I'm guessing she's probably insane so it doesn't really matter she's not going to tell anyone because it doesn't matter I failed the sleight of hand anyway oh good you can push it if you like I did push it okay <laughs> very well I will take that into account I would now like okay. Mike, I would now like Mike Moxley to please make a fast talk check we are so all going to prison for this alright fast talk at least that I can do Alright, let's see, 47, so that's a pass for me. You walk, you spend the rest of the night orchestrating this scene, and then first light in the morning, head into town and place a phone call to the Arkham Police Department. They don't arrive until later that day. By this time, the Hillbridge home is filled with the stench of blood and death. Rebecca finally awake catatonic, rocking back and forth, unable to verify or condemn your account. The police, immediately taken aback by the scene of violence before them, waste no time. They complete, they, they complete their initial survey of the crime scene and then do whatever they can to file the paperwork and get out of there as quickly as possible. They raise a couple of questions, but Mike Moxley is able to provide sufficient answers. Eventually, you get the impression that the police just don't wish to spend any more time in this horrible place working for this sheltered, insular, backwater town. They have many more things, many more important things to deal with back in Arkham. A week later, the Arkham Advertiser prints an article on the front page. Tragedy grips Dunwich family. Written by Mike Moxley. It tells the story of Orem Hillbridge. The, the up-and-coming new archaeologist who reached out to Arkansas Smith about the finding that he made on the outskirts of Dunwich, a finding which drew the ire of one local, John Courage. It goes on to explain about how, with Arkansas Smith in charge of the dig, it was later determined that the find was 
actually nothing much of note. Certainly not the Viking settlements that Orem thought he had found. Rather, Orem had been disturbing the ancestral resting place of a Native American tribe who once resided in the area, the source of the trouble between him and John Courage. The article takes quite a sensational bent when it describes the eventual outcome of this feud. John Courage breaking into the Hellbridge house determined on murdering who he saw as desecrators of his ancestral land. Mike Moxley in person watching as John Courage and Arkansas scrambled, fought, and eventually resulted in the unfortunate deaths of Orem and John Courage. Orem killed at Courage's hand, and Courage, unfortunately, dispatched in self-defense, intent to take the life of Rebecca. In the end, goes down on paper as just another heroic deed performed by Arkansas Smith. Arkansas Smith has a quote saying, although his methods were, well, much to learn from his uh, abilities, he did show lots of promise and could have made some great findings for archaeology for the future. It is a great sadness that this has happened. The article adequately explains the events in Dunwich, but some questions remain. Walter's fabrication of the crime scene was not perfect, and in months to come... In months to come, several of the police officers go public with their own accounts of what they saw in that house. Questions begin to buzz among the people of Arkham. Just another strange, unexplained death. Just like the unexplained deaths of those Boy Scouts months ago. Something that the authorities must know more about, but are keeping hidden, and the conspiratorial element of Arkham grows slightly stronger. All of the finds from the dig itself, including what was left of Orem's research materials, and the dust machine, are all packaged up and sent back to Miskatonic University, as was Walter's contract. Professor Curtis Matheson takes charge of them and wastes no time sequestering them away in the very depths of the Orne Library's restricted section, where nobody will ever learn of their existence. He pays Walter for a job well done, but before he dismisses you, Walter, Professor Matheson tells you, I feel now that John Courage has been dispatched, now that Mike Moxley and Arkansas Smith have within their heads the seed, the desire to know the truth, they are heading towards a terrible end. They will find more of the Hyperboreans. 
and I wish for you to continue to work alongside them so that any Hyperborean materials they uncover shall be placed where they belong, out of sight, out of mind, out of the hands of the unworthy. You keep paying me, I'll keep doing the job for you. And that concludes the Dark Wood. I would... Uh, there's rewards for everyone. So, uh, first of all, for stopping John Courage, you each gain 1d6 sand. If we go with some after the lovely day that I've had. Five! Hooray! For acquiring the dust machine, learning of its purpose, and using it to dispatch any dashes that were at large in Dunwich, you gain another 1d6 sand. Hooray! Hey, that's two fours. That's two fives. (laughs) And finally, for covering up what happened in Dunwich, for covering up the deaths of John Courage and of Orem Hillbridge and of Sam, the poor poor Indian labourer, each gain 1d3 sand. Not a perfect cover-up, but one that serves its purpose. Because now I roll the six on the d6. <laughs> Three! Uh, Yay! I only, only want that one, but that's probably fair considering how Mike feels about all this. You may each increase your Cthulhu mythos by 1d6%. Oh, Three. winning. Hey. Hey, six. Three! Hey, I'm over 30 now. Hey, M- M- M1's at 20. M1's at 20. <laughs> um, I'm at 31. You may increase any three of your skills by 1d6. That can be done later. <laughs> and finally, you may make a luck check. And if you fail, you may add 1d10 luck. Or if your luck is below 30, 2d10. God damn it. Wow, my, my, luck is, my, six. my luck is 42 mine's... and I rolled a 43. <laughs> Fuck I you, mine's 47 and I rolled a 41. Nice. Hey, hey, that's a, so 1d10, that's, that's a 10. <laughs> oh, so that's oh, wow. A pass. <laughs> I got an 8. Well, uh, um, 52 luck now. M1's character has failed, so he gets to add a, uh, he gets to add 1d10 luck, so he adds 2 luck. His luck goes up to 39. Okay, so that concludes all the rewards. As for Rebecca Hillbridge... Yeah, there's no happy ending. I'll be right back if I eat food. It's definitely Mm. not a happy ending. For the rest of her life, she never utters a word again. The police Mm. take her into custody, and upon reaching Arkham, she is quickly admitted to Arkham Asylum. It is there that she remains until the day of her death, five years later, where she succumbs to a heart attack after waking one night from a nightmare, screaming the name Orem at the top of her lungs. The orderlies rush to save her, but they are unable to do anything. And so she perishes 
in that moment, fresh gripped in the aftermath of a dream of her husband's demise. That is the end of this week's session. The next session is the finale of our campaign, Curse of Sothogua. And we will be running it in person. It's quite a, way, quite a ways away though. We're not doing it two weeks from now. We are doing it on the 12th of November. So that is... Uh, three weeks. Three weeks from now, <laughs> yes. So those who would like to see how this ghastly tale comes to an end, to learn to what end Professor Matheson and Miskatonic University hide away these mysteries that would shake, shake everything that humanity has ever believed in. Make sure you join us three weeks from now for the finale of our Terror of Sothogua campaign. The Curse of Sothogua. want to thank BCG for the many, many gift subs that he gave out during this session. That is very much appreciated. You can consider yourself on the list for a guest spot. We plan to do a lot of one-shots uh, next July when M2 goes overseas. And so we will definitely allow you to take part in a mini-campaign that will run during that time. Until next we join, folks, just remember, there are mysteries that man would never imagine exist, and mysteries that man should never tickle with. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.